Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch, and today I'm with a very special guest. You may have seen him as the Joker at Big Wow or San Diego Comic-Con, Mr. Anthony Miziano. Hello. Uh, so thanks for being on. Uh, you know, I, I know this is a long time coming because uh, we, we talked about this, I think, a year ago. Uh-huh. I'm glad to make it happen. Um, uh, basically, I'd like to start at the beginning. What got you into cosplay? Um, got me into cosplay? Well, you know, born and raised San Diegan. And uh, for those of you, that means I'm from San Diego. And so going to San Diego Comic-Con was just kind of a thing you did. Um, Especially, of course, if you were into any of that stuff, which I always was. And um, so I went year after year after year, and I loved it, had fun with it. Um, We can can have a second side conversation later about the the unfortunate um, self-destructive evolution of Comic-Con and why I'm actually kind of glad to not go again just for i don't want to talk about it now but anyway we, we can totally uh, get into that actually let me let me yeah. do stop you for a second so when did you start going to comic-con what what's your your geek background were you always a batman fan or are you just a general superhero comic book sci-fi fan what uh well i am a film nut mm-hmm. and um absolute film fanatic and so i always went originally more for the uh film and tv paraphernalia and anything related to that uh, i loved comics as a kid but i loved the artwork that was my thing i've been drawing since i was a toddler and so um i all i just love art and i was very drawn to the imagery of comic book art um as well as like cards like i loved there's this one in particular of um of collected cards i think it was the 1992 and 1993 marvel masterpiece it was like a series of oh, yeah. cards mm-hmm. and they were gorgeous they were just stunning the artwork on them was was so good um oh there's this one particular cyclops that looked really great but anyway and so i just loved the artwork and so I was drawn to that, but I didn't know um, stories very much. So I didn't really read that many comics. I mostly just collected them for the artwork. Um, and the ones that I did read, I read because I loved the artwork. Sure. And it is a visual medium, and I think that's why like, you know, the most successful comics out there, yeah, they have good stories, but there's ones with great stories that probably have not the greatest art, and people don't know them. But, you I mean, you look at like some of the biggest sellers. You look at, well, you know, of course, popular example, especially given me being here, Brian Boland's artwork in The Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. Now, The Killing Joke, of course, is a great story, but you got to just break it down and say, okay, if the artwork wasn't so damned great – Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been such a big seller that caught on with people. Or you look at, of course, you know, um, uh, Jim Lee, for God's sake. You know, uh, the first comic he did with, I think, Marvel just just blew up. It was huge. Um, that one X-Men uh, comic he did with them. Mm-hmm. And 
it's because his artwork was just so refreshing and so well done and just so cool. And, you know, yeah, it had a good story, but it was the artwork that really made it blow up and made people want to read the story inside. And so that's what I was drawn to. Um, as far as uh, being a Batman fan goes, that's just, you know, that's just built into me, I think. I'm, I'm of... I'm of the right generation, I think, and the right age to where I don't think you can be like I'm I'm turning twenty-nine in a few weeks. I don't think you can be born in the mid-80s and not love Batman. Simply because pre-elementary school, what did you see on TV and reruns in the mornings? The the Adam West show, great for little kids, brings you into the world of Batman in a nice childlike fun way. Mm-hmm. Then I get into elementary school, I get into it for a few years, and then, you know, part with the elementary school, what debuts on TV on Fox? The animated series. Perfect. It's still child-friendly, but it's definitely matured some. It grows up with you. Um, you know, the Burton films came out during... Uh, my childhood, you know, 89, the first one, and then 92, uh, Batman Returns, which I think visually is the best Batman film. I know a lot of people won't agree with that, but I'm talking about visuals here. I think Batman Returns looks the most like the Batman universe should look on film. I think they did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got older, and the Schumacher films came out, and, uh, you know, everyone sort of had the air let out of their balloons some because it just wasn't quite there. It went a little too campy. It did. And then, of course, you know, uh, I get out of high school, or at the very end of high school, the Nolan films start coming out, and they come out all the way through college and a little after. And so it all sort of, the timing of it was also, for my life, so perfect that I was just being exposed to nothing but Batman stuff growing up. I couldn't help but love it. And, um, and then, yeah, on my own, discovering the artwork and all that uh, from the comics. Uh, but anyway... This, the, the question, I think, 19 minutes ago was, how did I first start cosplaying? Yes. Um, so, yeah, I went to San Diego Comic-Con uh, all those years. And, you know, I'd always see people occasionally do it. It wasn't like it is now, where it's just a huge, massive thing. Oh, very true. Uh, what, what, what year was your first San Diego Comic-Con? And didn't have terminology. No one said the words cosplay. I still think it's a funky word because it lacks definition. But, I'll, I'll ask you a specific question about that later. But, yeah, sorry. Um, go on. My first San Diego Comic-Con... Uh, I don't know. Sometime in the nineties. <laughs> sometime in the nineties. Because that's what I was. That's when I was. Uh, 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 I started high school in ninety nine. You uh-huh. children listening. Uh-huh. That was my first. So I don't know. It was sometime in the nineties. Um, I don't remember. I really don't. Um, you were a teenager. You you went. I mean, this I was, is this I was, is interesting a, to me. I was my, a preteen. Uh-huh. I was a preteen. Oh wow! I, I think I was like twelve, maybe. Because my first was oh one. So it'll be interesting to kind of compare notes how it was in the nineties. But um. Yeah. So you you saw it. it so it was, anyway, but it I there, saw it, but, but it was yes. it was never something that I thought I would necessarily want to do. Mostly because I didn't feel like um, I didn't feel like there was anyone who I could really pull off or who I really felt that passionately connected to mm-hmm. as a character. Um, and there were ones that I did feel connected to, like Batman. I always wanted to be Batman, um, but I was you know not physically Batman, especially not when I was a teenager. Um, and definitely not now, not a chance. And so I just, you know, that just never happened. And then, um, honestly, it was, the the details are a little blurred in my memory because it was just, you know, kind of organic. But I just remember making a face. I know it sounds kind of like a funny bullshit story, but I remember um, making a face in a mirror 
or I think I was with a friend of mine, and we were just goofing around and making faces and making each other laugh. And this isn't like as a child. Let me tell. You, this is like you know, I'm like twenty something, and <laughs> and making faces. Uh, I think it was an actor friend of mine. It was like an improv class or something. And I was trying to do this thing where like the different parts of your face were experiencing different emotions at the same time because <laughs> it's actually really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just wondering how it would look. And of course, you know, came across the one where like. You know, from the from the you know the eyes and the eyebrows are just angry, just ferociously angry, but the bottom half is very happy, mm-hmm. and and I did that, and he was like, "Oh my god, it's terrifying," <laughs> and I um as I looked in the mirror and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, I look like," and he said, "I look like the devil," and I was like, "I look," I was like. You know what I look like? I look like the Joker. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, and not Jack Nicholson, because that was the only like live action version of that time. I was like, not Jack, but I was like, I look like like from the comics, the drawings. I look like the artwork. I look like the Joker. Mm-hmm. And um and that was sort of it. And so I think that just sort of planted a seed in the back of my brain that never went away. And I always just thought for years, I was like, you know what? I bet I could do a Joker. And um nice. Nice. I and so I did one really feeble attempt. In I want to say 2004 when I was uh, I was 19. Okay, so it must have been I was like 18. The face thing happened, so I was 19. I did a really feeble attempt at a costume, um, but I didn't know much about costuming at the time or costume design. I was new to that, and it was just awful. And um, and that was sort of that. The makeup was pretty good because I, I always had the makeup skills because that's just his drawing. That's all makeup is. You know, it's just drawing and painting, just using your face as a canvas. Um. But, you know, and I was very much a, like my face was much more boyish and just didn't really work. But it still always stayed in the back of my mind of like, you know, I I want to redo this one day. And then, you know, like seven or eight years later, just a lifetime later, I thought, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to do it for Halloween. This is 2011. I'm going to do this for Halloween. But I want to do it right. And at that point, I'd also done some costume design work Um in that time, I you know I did costume design work for some short films um, and got really into um, dyeing. I learned how to dye every kind of material known to man because I had to create these different costumes for the film that had to have a certain look and style to it. And so I got really into it and got really good at it. And um, and so I just I started collecting. You know you know you create like an inspirational board. That's what I like to do. I like to create you know an inspirational package of imagery like here's the images that that i'm drawn to for whatever reason i can't explain here's what i'm drawn to now let's look at these images and figure out what is it about this specific image that draws you in is it this piece is it that piece is it this element is it that color is it whatever figure it out and then create your own image cohesively going okay this is all encompassing from all these different points of inspiration this is what i would create as a quintessential ta-da here's what i see mm-hmm. And I, I, I came up with the design and just started working on it. And, um, and Halloween 2011 came and went, and I was still working on it. I wore it. I wore it as a work in progress, but it wasn't done, and I knew it. The fit wasn't right. Uh, the basic pieces were there, but the fit wasn't right. A lot of the pieces needed to be swapped out or replaced. Mm-hmm. And I just kept working on it and working on it and working on it. And finally, you know... Um, Comic-Con 2012, uh, I debuted it. Um, basically, I mean, I've added things since then and swapped things out since then, a few things. But 
no major changes. I mean, I still I still can wear the that version of it. I still have all those pieces and still use them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just occasionally changed out. You know, instead of the green shirt with black tie, I'll do a black shirt with a green tie, or I'll add the big trench coat that I have now, or lose the big trench coat, things like that. But it was July 2012 that it was all done, and that was my first time cosplaying. And I didn't even know the word cosplay. Uh, I had never heard of it. I wasn't part of that community. I didn't know what it was. All I knew of cosplay, I guess, as you would call it proper, is uh, uh, Donnie and Tara Strand, uh, Gotham Public Works, who were sort of, they set the bar. I mean, those are my heroes as far as costuming these characters go. Donald Strand uh, and Tara Strand are Joker and Harley. They just, they did it better than anybody else, and they did it first which is impressive. They did it first, and they did it the best. It's so Their stuff is so flawless and so beautiful and so well done and so much care is put into it all. I admire them so much. And then after my photos popped up on the web, they were like, hey, really cool Joker, dude. And I was like, <laughs> thank you. They're like, yeah, that's really awesome. I'm like, yay, can I meet you? <laughs> and they lived in L.A., and I, I lived in San Diego, and I drove to L.A., and Hung out with them and that was really cool. And you know, went to dinner with them and have talked to them on several occasions and met them and bumped into them a few cons. And we get along famously. It's funny because they're they're almost exactly ten years older than myself and uh, Alyssa, my Harley. Mm-hmm. Um, the same age gap between uh, Donnie and Tara as myself and Alyssa. And so it's kind of funny because there's there's sort of an interesting uh, duality going on there. Um, but we get along with them really well into the, a lot of the same kind of artwork. Like I went to their place and they had paintings in their apartment of Tim Cantor, who's an artist, uh, San Diego based artist who I love. And instantly I walked in, I was like, Tim Cantor. They're like, you know who that is? I was like, I love him. So <laughs> it was really cool to really hit it off. And, um, and yeah, but no, they're my heroes. Uh, but anyway, that happened in 2012. Then, um, this is not a joke. It was Senegal Comic Con. No pun intended. I, I dressed up, yeah, dressed up on uh, I think Friday and Saturday, and then um, on Monday, I had on my personal Facebook page because my name got figured out. I had like five hundred friend requests from people I did not know, mm-hmm. and they were pouring in. And I was getting notifications every minute. Because apparently, because I mean, I was, I went to San Diego Comic Con just, I was a complete whore. I posed for every photo. I found every news thing that was out there and would pose for things or do interviews. I just, I got all out there. Mm-hmm. I was having, and I didn't realize I was being such a publicity whore because I didn't think anything was going to happen. I didn't care. I was just like, I'm just having fun. Um, but everyone was stopping me and asking, oh, can I do an interview with you? Can I do an interview with you? People just really liked it. It was the first time anybody saw it. And, uh, I got all those friend requests, and I was like, oh, no. And so um, Alyssa then, because I'm, I'm not very hip and cool with the book face and the, twi- <laughs> and, and the Twitter and the, and, and the tweets to grams, I'm just not cool. You're too I'm, young to say that. Stop it. I know. I'm such an old man inside, <laughs> dude. I just don't do it. And so she created... Um, I manage it now, and I do it all now, but she I was so stressed out because also, this is not a joke, that exact same weekend, when I came home from Comic-Con, 
I had a whole identity theft thing happen. All my personal accounts got hacked into and oh, deleted. All my geez. contacts, all my stuff got hacked into. Every one of my contacts was emailed dirty pictures and messed up shit. Like it was intense. Wow. That weekend, it was a bad. It was a good and bad weekend. It was crazy. So I was dealing with the stress of getting my life back, calling my bank, re recreating all my accounts and banking accounts and email accounts and everything else. It was nuts. And so then she created uh, a Facebook page. I told her, I was like, I, you know, she's like, well, you can create a page. I was like, a page? She's like, yeah, we'll create a page for this thing. And this is before cosplayers really had pages. This is before, again, like, this is just, this is right at the start of that, 2012. Um, and I was like, okay. And so she created this page. And then I made my personal Facebook page completely private with the exception of one public post that said, hi, if you're here to, <laughs> hi, this is Anthony Missiano. If you're here to check out anything joke related, Go to this page. Mm -hmm. And that's all it was. And then people found that page. And uh, in a week, I had 20,000 likes. It's insane. And I had, and I feel bad because people will message me all the time and go, hey, could you uh, give me some pointers how to create a popular Facebook page? And I was like, I had nothing to do with it. Honestly, <laughs> it just, it was just the fact that photos of me from Comic Con 2012 kind of went viral. And people on their own sought it out and found it. Like I really did not. I didn't do any promotional stuff for the page. It just, it just kind of happened. Uh, I didn't. I didn't mean it to, and it was no effort on my part. I've never done anything to promote that page. Really, um, it just sort of happened. Mm -hmm. And so basically, you know, I just tell people like, well, just try to. And the, I mean, the way I've been able to grow the page is just by doing what you need to do with anything like that, which is create original entertaining content and just hope that people like it and if they do it will be shared and spread mm -hmm. um but the initial boom was just it just happened i had no intention and so then you know that happened and i started people started asking like are you gonna go to other conventions and i had i had no intention i was just gonna wear this costume once and then my, my plan was well this costume took up like a year of my life and a lot of money and time that i slowly kind of trickled into it as i was working on it for a year so my thought was, well, I'm going to go to every costume contest I can next Halloween and try to make this money back. <laughs> but then I couldn't do that because then, yeah, then it blew up online. I was like, oh, well, now I'd be a douchebag if I go to these contests because now it's kind of unfair because people would be like, hey, I've seen you on the internet. You can't enter this contest. That's not fair. Mm -hmm. So uh, people started asking me like, hey, you want to go to this convention or should you go to this one? And so I just sort of started looking up well what conventions are within driving distance of San Diego because I'm I don't you know I'm broke sure, sure. Uh, and so I just started driving to them so after San Diego Comic-Con I drove to Stanley's Kamikaze in LA I went to Long Beach Comic-Con in Long Beach a couple months after that and then uh, went to uh, WonderCon uh, in March where we debuted the Harley costume and there is the longest answer to the shortest question <laughs> ever uh, so uh, let me ask you though. I mean, clearly, uh, this the Joker costume was a labor of love, and it's your yeah. um, your first convention cosplay. Uh, did you do any dressing up for Halloween as a kid? Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Oh, Halloween was my time, man. And that's how I got. That's part of how I got better at doing costumes. Is I I got to this thing where, like, kind of after high school, where I started. If I was going to do a Halloween costume. It was a it was a thing. Like I would need to, I need to know by like June what my Halloween costume is going to be, so I can start working on it now. You know, <laughs> because 
I would just go all out for it. Just for that one night, I would go all out. And that was, you know, again, that was before the internet was, before there was Facebook. So it's not like people would see your photos. It was just for the pleasure of it. People forget, I think, that there was a time when you did things just for the pleasure of them. Not for the, let's show 5,000 people photos of my joy and hope they like my joy and spread my joy to others. No, 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 no. This was when you would do something because you enjoyed it. And right. that was literally the end of it. Well, it might go in a family photo album. but beyond And a that, family photo know. album. like liter- or Just memories. That's literally it. Memories. Mm-hmm. You just did things for the memory. And, um, yeah, I would just go all out with Halloween. I mean, I, and also with makeup, you know, because I was always drawing, I started doing my family's Halloween makeup when I was a kid. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I come from a family that are all, you know, they all love like you know, movies and TV and 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 painting, they they like art, but they're not creative uh, in that sense to to any great extent. My uncle, uh, my uncle can draw, um, although he didn't really pursue it, um, but it was something he was always able to do. Um, uh, but he didn't pursue it. He didn't exercise it. He didn't work it out. And um, and so yeah. But besides that, really like. Not not in the same way that I was always creating stuff and making stuff and wanting to do anything I saw that I found fascinating. I was like, I want to do that. And then I would start doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So when I was a kid, I started doing all their Halloween makeup. And, you know, yeah. What, what were some of your favorite uh, characters you dressed up as? Well, the only one that came close to the Joker as far as accuracy... I'd say in the presentation mm-hmm. uh, was Michael Jackson. <laughs> okay, which era, and, Michael Jackson? Um, well, I the costume I enjoyed the most as a costume, just because I think it's a great fucking outfit, is the bad music okay. video. Yep, that, but not the version. I didn't like the version in the bad video as much as I liked the kind of bad outfit version 2.0 that he wore in Moonwalker, mm-hmm. which is basically the same thing, but added a, uh, a white shirt, t-shirt underneath with a slit open collar and um, a couple extra belts and layers and things. Uh, it sort of just amplified it and refined it a bit from the music video. But I loved that costume. Um, but what I pulled off the best because, of course, of my more pale complexion, it would be, of course, Michael a little later into the 90s after uh, the vitiligo kind of took over and all that. And that would be, um, I don't know, uh, anything from the Dangerous album. That was my favorite uh, album of his growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, uh, the black or white music video, um, the um, what's called the Panther sequence, which is after the song ends and there he is on the street just dancing without any music. And um, which is like, you know, black slacks, white T-shirt, black button down shirt tucked in uh, the right sleeve rolled up with a white um, stripe around yeah. the sleeve and that yeah, white yeah. arm brace with the finger tape on three fingers and mm-hmm. the black hat. Mm-hmm. I, I man, I still have that. I could bust that out right now. I have <laughs> it's simple components. I could totally I could totally do that right now. It mm-hmm. would take eight seconds for me to be like, and now I'm Michael Jackson. <laughs> um, but same thing with makeup in that, you know. Uh, I, I loved I loved doing the makeup. I loved because with Michael Jackson, I actually it was doing the Michael Jackson makeup that I sort of learned how I could use two dimensional makeup, just highlighting and shadowing, to change the appearing proportions of my features. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Whereas like with the Joker, I try to make everything look longer. You know, the way I highlight and shadow my nose and my chin and my cheekbones and that, it's to make me look longer in the face with a pointier nose. My nose doesn't point down like the Joker's does, but I'm able to highlight and shadow it well and position my face for photos the right way that it looks like that. Well, with Michael, you know, he has a very, very square jaw and, um, you know, cleft in his chin and... Um, after, you know, uh, well, the, the Michael that everyone remembers, you know, of course, a, a much you know, buttonier nose and all that fun stuff. And so, you know, I learned how to highlight things that I wanted to amplify, shadow things I wanted to appear smaller, and just tweak, tweak it. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, just using mostly like powders and eyeshadows and things like that, I could highlight and shadow my features and make it to where in some photos I really did look very eerily reminiscent of Michael Jackson. And... Um, you're gonna have to send me some photos of this. Actually, yeah, you have me all intrigued. To find one, um, so yeah, I did that, and um, yeah, that's where I learned a lot of that from. Anyway, so Michael, Michael's probably my best Halloween costume. Besides that, it was always generic stuff. It was never any specific thing. It would always be just like some type of dead something or mm-hmm. some type of creepy something else. It was never like specific character, specific person, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more types, more like you're a pirate or a convict or something versus, you know, I'm Superman or I'm Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. it was always more vague. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always vague besides Michael and the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> what is your uh, favorite convention or costuming event that you have been to? Would yours be Comic-Con? Uh, no. Um, my favorite, just because just the best personal experience I had, I loved... Stanley's Kamikaze in 2012. It was the second year it had been done, so it wasn't that big yet. Right. Um, although it was much bigger than the year before, from what I'm told. That was the, that was the only year I'd gone. But it was so great because um, because of Stanley and other people's names attached to it as the promoters, um, they were able to get a really great lineup of guests. It was actually absurd the lineup of guests they had. And yet, there weren't that many people there um, at all. And so there was like space in the hallways to just move around and walk around and talk to people. And so I was able to talk and see so many people who I admired for whatever reason very freely. And they were just like, hey, how's it going? Because it's not like they were being bombarded with people all day. Um, So I just really loved that. I loved loved it because it was almost like – it was like an actual, like, hey, meet and greet with all your favorite people. Doesn't cost you anything. Just come on in. <laughs> that is pretty it was, cool. Yeah. It was really cool. I loved that. There's something about uh, the big crowd atmosphere that's kind of neat. You feel like, wow, I'm at an event. I'm at a kind of a geek yes. party. But you're right. It reaches a, a boiling point where, I mean, San Diego is the big example of this, where you're like, this, this, this is too much. Like, you don't Sa- want to wait hours in line just to see somebody. Yeah. You know? Literally, in my opinion, the last year that San Diego Comic-Con was still decent, mm-hmm. Um, as far as being able to enjoy yourself while dealing with the crowds. And this was, of course, at the end. I mean, this is when it was still like, there's still sh- too many fucking people here, but I can enjoy it still. Was 2012. Really? Um, yeah, 2012 was still... I could still do... Because, I mean, I, you know, that's where I debuted the Joker thing. And guess what? I was able to stop and f- pose for photos. I don't know if you were there last year. Oh, yeah, no, I've been going every year since 01. So. And 2013... Uh, I don't, you remember this? You couldn't. Like literally. 
Like out in the lobby area, for example, out beyond the, the hall, mm -hmm. you were literally not allowed to stop for photos because there's so many people that the fire marshal's like, nope, people aren't allowed to stop. And so all the security had to constantly tell you, no, please keep moving. You have to keep moving. You're not allowed to stop. You have to keep moving. Even inside the hall, in the walkways, I couldn't stop and pose for photos because right away, security person was like, you have to keep moving, sir. You have to keep moving. Basically, unless you were buying something at a booth, you couldn't stop. And that was just horrible. That was just a horrible experience. Um, it was just it was just too many people because um, I think I think they have a maximum capacity of I think like uh, hundred thousand people and I think they allowed one hundred forty thousand like they oversold on purpose by forty thousand tickets and you know what that's just uh, that's just <laughs> much yeah that's the number I, I've generally been told and as I recall uh, the first year they reached capacity and they did have fire marshal problems was I want to say 06 probably might have been 05 but I'm pretty sure it was 06 um, and to me that was probably the beginning of the end yeah um, and uh, it, I, I mean I was aware of it um, I, I wasn't part of that whole oh they wouldn't let people in I mean I must have already been inside when that happened but yeah. um, I do remember how that started to rejigger the ticket system and how tickets started selling out so much faster. And yeah. you know, it was already a bit of a cluster to get tickets even then. Remember, but... you could, remember when you could buy tickets for the next year, that year? Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, and that's what I did. You know, I was like, okay, buy it now that we don't have to deal with the fuss, but then you couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And uh, the, what you describe, uh, I think I started sensing... Yes, I think I started sensing it even in 2012 because it wasn't as bad to me in my experience cosplaying uh, to what you describe. Yeah. Um, but I do, I did notice that yes, you you could not stop as often. Security yeah. would often tell you to move on. It's almost like you had to sneak said photos. And I try to be aware too of where I am. If someone wants a photo but it's really clustered, I try to tell them, well, let's stand over here away yeah. from this crowd, and yeah, we can do. It. Or let's walk down just three booths where there's an opening. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, just look at the difference between, uh, you know, 2012 and 2013. I don't know if you heard of, you know, Harley Palooza. Basically, you know, a little photo shoot that's or uh, orchestrated where they get a bunch of, you know, Joker cosplayers and Harley cosplayers. Mm -hmm. Well, in 2012, I was part of it. It was my first time doing it. And I was like, oh, this will be fun. Mm -hmm. And it was like me and like, I don't know, six other or five other Jokers and like maybe like eight Harleys. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this was the big Harley Palooza, big Harley and Joker photo shoot at Comic Con. In 2013, did you see that photo? Where it's the giant mass. It's a giant. There's like a couple hundred of us. It was just. It was. It, that's how big it blew up. Just between those two years, it was just. It was insane. You know, every one of us was just a tiny head amongst this giant pool of purple and red. <laughs> um. So you're you're saying that uh, I mean I, I don't believe cosplay in general exploded that much in one year. You're just saying that the the word got out on this photo shoot. Oh, I think the word got out, but I do think I don't know. I do get the sense that cosplay exploded a lot just in the last few years because I mean also you know look at how many oh, I hate this term. I really do hate this term, but okay, professional cosplayers. Look at how many people <laughs> tout themselves, touted themselves as professional cosplayers in 2012. And like had pages for it and whatever else on Facebook and yada yada. And then how many now? Think um, about that. You're right in a I mean, look, I, I don't <laughs> monitor the pulse of this exactly. I mean, yes, I'm aware of a number of names. But a lot of them are because I have friends who know these people. 
or yeah. I come across them because they're friends on Facebook or, you know, I did watch Heroes of Cosplay, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I, I don't sit there and scan Facebook of how many people are saying they're well, professional cosplayers. I, I don't know, but I'm just saying, like, you know, you just become a – because, you know, you go to conventions and uh, more conventions now have cosplayers as official guests. And you're like, who are these people? And you look them all up and you see their page and, you know, they all have, like – you know, two hundred thousand likes, four hundred thousand likes, a million likes, uh, this many likes, one hundred fifty thousand likes, whatever else. And like, you look at how the pages, and they're all like, they're all created in the last. I want to say like a series of the last like eighteen months. Mm -hmm. It's it's nuts. It's just become this big thing. I mean, I know it's gonna, I know it's gonna fizzle out. I don't know when. It is a bubble. There's gonna become a point where it just kind of goes. And that was that. Well, that was fun. Um, Everything has its lifespan. I, yeah. I keep waiting in general for this uh, geek uh, explosion yeah. that has yeah. created what we have seen at Comic Con with all these people. And, and yeah, the, has, the people, the people who, when you were in high school, wore all the FUBU gear and had the or had the spiked hair and the skateboard. They are now all geeks. It's the same <laughs> types of folk. It, you know what I'm saying? It's just it is a trend. It's and it's a weird trend. But it's been going it's, a long time. That's what gets me, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, can see the like, start of it in the early 2000s, and we we are at a peak of it. But I'm not seeing a sign of it dying down to a significant level soon. Anyway. Yeah. It's very strange. I mean, compared to I mean, I'm sure you're young enough to remember, old enough to remember that you know it it was not a good thing to be a geek socially at one no. time. You had to hide it. No. Yeah, and that's the thing is that the definition of geek and nerd also changed because at one point it also uh, it somehow implied you know intelligent. Now that's not part of it. Uh -huh. Now now it's not. I'm not. Please hear me out in the rest of this description here because that sounds that's an that's a horrible opening. Uh -huh. um, but you know the term nerd or geek used to mean, at least in part, that you were really really smart in school and you you know you used to, you were a very bright person, but. Because of that, you're a little bit of a social outcast, and so you found yourself drawn to more countercultury forms of entertainment and art. Now it just means that I'm a fan of something. That's all it means now. It just means, oh, I'm a fan of something. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting how that has changed. You know, it's, I don't know, how it has no correlation to like, oh, you're a total nerd? Yeah. It, there's no correlation between. The two, whereas it used to be one and the same. I find uh, that interesting. Just the, it's just a change of terminology. Yeah, it, it's it's somewhat interchangeable with fanatic. Yeah, I can I can see that. And and nowadays, because of Hollywood movies about superheroes or even your non superhero stuff like Walking Dead, um, yeah, or something like that, it's all become so accepted and popular that it, there's a part of me that's very happy because I wish it was like this when I was a kid. On another level, it's a bit weird because it feels like. You know the corporate entities have taken over your, you know, your thing that had integrity before. And, yes. Uh, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, I, I didn't need a, a toothbrush of, you know, um, <laughs> Superman. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to read the comics and have a cool costume, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I totally hear you. Um, so uh, Comic Con, yeah, I know it's. Um, I, I'm going again this year, and uh, actually, it's so funny you say that though, because I remember in 2012 was the first year I kind of didn't have a good time there. Uh, it, it, I could really feel the crowds, and I couldn't get to places I wanted to get to. I'd long since abandoned trying to go to big panels and, 
and seeing yeah. celebrities because I just remember, like, remember I when you could go to Hall H? Yeah, 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 exactly. You, that could, you could be part of what you there did. There was a time when you went to Hall H for a day. Yeah. Or for like for an hour. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to see this panel. Yay. Yeah, and then I'm going to leave. Yeah, in 2010, we went to a Shazam panel. And that was the first year we debuted our, our Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel. And I, uh, I loved it because that was the last time at Comic-Con I ever went to a panel five minutes before it started, walked right in, got a seat, and it was about, you know, 80% full. And I thought, this is how it should be. Yeah. Never again. <laughs> that never happened again. <laughs> no. I remember, I remember um, the, what's it called? The um, masquerade. I remember, you know, you could line up at like in the afternoon, like 5 p.m. All right, masquerade's in three hours. I'm going to be sitting here for three hours? That's nuts. Mm -hmm. Now that's not even like, oh, it's in three hours. You're not going to get in, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's insane. I haven't, uh, I haven't done yeah. the masquerade in years. I haven't gone to it in so long. No, it's, it's yep. just mm -hmm. I don't. I don't even imagine I have a chance. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. Well, that's that's the problem. I mean, it's like, yeah, I love all this stuff, but I don't want to devote a day or yeah. more just to seeing a panel, half of which is going to end up online, you know, hours later. So, yeah, um, it, yeah, it's not worth it to me. It's more about well, at least I want to be in the experience. At least I want to be in the hall. I want to be doing the cosplay, meeting fans. Yeah, maybe I'll buy a few things, but you know, uh, that's more about what it is now um, for me than than the the Hollywood aspect. Unless it's something I can easily get into and go, oh, hey, that was neat, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's amazing how partly it's my age and the evolution of of doing fan stuff in terms of. You know, you buy your favorite things or you go and get your autographs or see panels. But as I moved into cosplay, I'm very glad I got into this hobby because uh, I've met a lot of great people and mm -hmm. it becomes a different experience. It becomes a more social experience. And yeah. I really, really like that. And if it hadn't been for that, I might have stopped going to Comic-Con a long time ago because I don't know if I really have the patience uh, or, or the endurance to like camp out overnight, you know, to see a panel or get an autograph. You know, it's just yeah. like, too insane. Yeah. yeah. Cosplay or costuming, uh, do you feel there's a difference in those terms? Do you prefer a particular term? Because it sounds like, you know, you're, you're well, you're kind of like me, where I didn't hear the term cosplay till I don't know, early to mid-2000s, and I was like, what, what, what are we calling this now? And it took me a while to kind of get on board with it. I think cosplay as an art form, if you want to, or a hobby, is a great thing in large part because the definition is so vague. For some people, it's a lot more about the costume design. For some people, it's a lot more about the role-playing side of it. Um, for some people, it's something that is very intensive and, and very hard work and dedicated and everything else. And for some people, it's as simple as, hey, I went to a costume shop and I got this fun costume and I'm going to go out and dress up and it'll be fun and silly and I'll have some fun. Which is also 1,000% cool and awesome and fun too. And just as respectable as everything else. And so I think the – but I think there's a problem in the fact that it's being used as its all-encompassing terminology for all these different things so that when one person isn't up to snuff by someone else's choice of the definition of this word, there gets to be – there's there's negativity sometimes. And, and – um, and that's, of course, a bad thing when you see people, you know, no nicer way to put it, being, being assholes mm -hmm. on the internet or bitches or whatever you want to call them. 
um, because somebody else doesn't fit their definition of this very broad, vague term that honestly is just a fucking hobby, people tone it the fuck down. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem I have with it. For example, myself, I am much more about the costuming than the role playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, people tell me sometimes online, they're like, oh, you know, the, I, I love what you've done with it, which I'm uh, nice to hear, and I'm very glad people enjoy what I do. And they say, oh, you get so into character. And it's very sweet of them to say that, but the truth is, I really, I don't so much. Now, I know how to play for the cameras, and I love playing for the cameras and hamming it up for the cameras and having fun. But honestly, I'm not somebody who does the role-playing side of it. I'm not going to walk around a convention floor and do an impersonation or something of a character because also, I I know this sounds weird, but I, I am an actor, and so it's weird for me because when I think about it, if I were to play the character... I wouldn't be at a convention because I'd probably be killing people and stealing money. <laughs> and, right? You know, as the Joker, at least. Like, I wouldn't do that. It'd be weird. So I, I don't really get in, into character. And it's and also, like, I don't know. I, I sometimes get annoyed when some people are just walking around all day doing a really bad impression of Mark Hamill. I'm like, stop. Just stop. It's, it's, you don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. But, again, for some people, though, that's the fun of it. And that's awesome for them. I just... I just don't like the term cosplay, I think, because its vagueness lends itself to people taking their definition of it too seriously and feeling like they have to impose their definition of it onto other people who have a different definition of this very vague, undefined term. It uh, creates sort of a classism rift within the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but again, it's an undefined one and that's just the problem is that you have hatred without any proper motivation. <laughs> I don't know, it just it bugs me. I don't like the term. So, I myself I'm I'm an artist and uh, you know, a costume designer and that's that's how I entered the cosplay world. I've entered this world, this community as a costume designer and a, and a prop designer. And I love that work. I love the creating side of it. Because um, I've had some, I've gotten tons of hate mail. You know, people love to hate me. They also like to love me. And the hate mail has definitely subsided over time. Uh, because now people go, oh, okay, so this is what he does. I get it. Uh, Wait, but, hate, hate mail over what? Oh, just how how horrible I am at representing the character. How because again, you have an iconic character. People have an image in their mind of what they view this character as, and so if you're not that, they have the right to tell you how badly you're not that. Oh, apparently. Uh, okay. Because that's just how that's how the internet is. The internet is just an open forum for people to be rude. That's well, just, and I hate that. We're we're um, all aware of that. Yes. Yeah, uh, and but- so. Wouldn't you counter argue that even without the term, or even if cosplay was called, you know, something entirely different, you would still have some of this going on because at the end of the day, there's always people that want to believe or think they are better than others, or think that someone else isn't measuring up. It, it's the, it, it's the, I hate to say it, it's kind of human nature, isn't it? Where it is, it shouldn't be. But and you know, this should all be about hey, we're all fans, we're all geeks, we're all just having fun. It's just a hobby. But on the other hand. There's always people that want to be king of the hill. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. You know, like I've been told, like how I'm just I'm just such a horrible representation of this character because I'm not in character at conventions, and like I'm I never asked to 
I'm not, I'm not like choosing to be a representation of this guy. I'm not some person who DC hired. I'm a dude who made a costume that I think is really cool, and I'm really happy with the work I did on the costume design side of it, as well as the Harley costume that myself and Alyssa worked on and the props that we've made. I'm really happy with how they turned out, so it's my right to go to a convention like anybody else and show them off and take mm -hmm. pictures of it and post them on my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. If people choose to go to my Facebook page and look at it and like it, that's their choice. I'm not forcing anything down anybody's throat. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's silly to me how people take some things seriously to the extent of having to attack others. Like, I take the craftsmanship of the work I do seriously. But that's because that's my personal work. You know, the work I did, the building, the constructing, the designing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm not going to go out and attack somebody else's work because I don't think they're up to snuff in some regard. That's that's a horrible thing to do. I don't have any right to do that. Do you feel the... Uh, uh, I, I mean, I know you, you put emphasis on the um, the costume construction, but do you feel portraying the character is is more important to have the, the costume right versus the role play, the character, the posing, the body language? It's all up to the individual. Honestly, it depends on what you want to do with it. I mean... If if that's what you think is more important, that's what you enjoy, then that's what you should do more and enjoy and and have fun with. It just depends on your point of view. I consider my at least in it's funny because I, I make my living as an actor, but <laughs> I've been doing that for like fifteen years. But like I view for the whole for my role in in the whole cosplay thing is more of a costume designer. That's how I view myself. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's more important to me. And when I see costumes and things that I really admire, that's the stuff that I tell people like, oh my God, that's so awesome. It's not because I'm like, oh, you did a really great vocal impression of this other person's voice of this character in some animated version of this show. No, I'm the person who's amazed at like, oh, that jacket is great. Or, oh, you did an amazing job on those boots. How did you blah, blah, blah. Or, hey, that prop is really great. What paint did you use for this? Or how did you, did you have to sand this down? Or how did you do whatever? That's what I get all geeked out over mm -hmm. is the artistic side of it. Because it's, it's like I said in the very beginning of this. I was, you know, with the comics, I was drawn to the artwork. That's what I love. So that's where I am on everything. But um, I don't feel there's an... There should be an end-all, be-all, this is more important or that's more important. So I, I won't even say what I think is, you know, I don't think there should be one. Um, so walk me through the, the Joker costume. Like how, what, how did you, I mean, I know how you aesthetically and inspirationally approached it, but how did you, yeah. you material-wise like go about making the costume? Okay, well, um, I'll try to be quick because I know I really ramble with my explanations. So I'll try to be economical here. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, so it started with, uh, again, like I said before, collecting imagery that I really found, I found spoke to me or that I found, honestly, um, versions that kind of looked like me because versions that I thought, okay, I can pull this off. Um, and a mix between that and, again, just things that I was drawn to. Like um, some of the artists who I've mentioned before that I really, um, I did directly pull some elements from would be um, Carlos Deanda, some of his early concept work for uh, the Arkham games. Um, the really, really early stuff when the Joker's face was different than anything else, there was something about this one drawing he did about the boots. The way he did the Joker's boots were just, I loved the shape of them. They had so much character, and they just jumped out at me. 
as well as on the back of his coat, he had this, this piece of material that just is like this strip that went on the back of the coat and had a button on either end, right at the small of the back of the jacket, of the tailcoat. I loved that. Uh, little things like that. Um, some of the artwork of Marshall Rogers from The Killing Joke I really loved. Um, some of the artwork of... Um, Oh, not the Killing Joke. I'm sorry. I mean, Laughing Fish. Marshall Rogers' artwork in the Laughing Fish. Uh, Brian Boland's artwork in the Killing Joke. Right. Um, I really loved um, uh, Alex Ross. Some of the stuff he did for Case Study. Um, I don't know if you ever seen that one. It's oh, it's stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen that one? Uh, no. Okay, it's in. It, I, just, I always tell people to look it up because it's just great. And it's the whole reason I bought this book. It's a Batman Black and White Volume Two. It's a collection of short stories all done by different artists, and they're all monochromatic. They're all in complete black and white. And all different artists in different styles, from comic strippy style to Alex Ross, you know, very painted Norman Rockwell-esque kind of style. Mm-hmm. And he did this, and it's all, you know, um, Alex Ross is all watercolor, which just makes it more impressive when you think about it. And, um, and it's all this watercolor stuff he did uh, called Case Study that Paul Dini wrote. And it's, it's just brilliant, great story about the rise of the Joker, and it's just like a three or four page or five or six page short story, but his artwork is brilliant. I really found myself drawn to that as far as kind of makeup design. Um, my makeup design is really based on, um, I'd say probably the most uh, Alex Ross. Um, yeah, Alex Ross. Um, yeah, I can't even think of anybody else. That and just my own brain. You know, it was basically a mix between him and kind of what I thought. The character should look like, because um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do the slicked back hair uh, that Alex Ross did. Um, I just kept my own quaff. <laughs> <laughs> you don't wear a wig? And, 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 no, and it's always really. You thought I wore a wig? You know, when I see that's, a different color, I always assume someone's yeah, wearing a wig. But that's yeah. my hair every time, and that's funny too. Because people are always like, "Oh, you change your hair? Oh, you change your hair?" Or and they always say, "Why did you change your hair? Why did you change your hair for every convention?" And it's like, it's just my hair. It happens to be this length right now. Mm-hmm. It's just my hair. It happens to be brushed a little more parted on the side than in the middle now than it used to be. It's just my own hair. Mm-hmm. Because that's just the easiest thing. I just do my own hair, and I sometimes just make it a little more exaggerated, a little more crazy. But it's pretty much just my hair. Mm-hmm. And also, like if I ever dress up two days in a row, well, the second day my hair is going to be much less stringy because it was just washed heavily the night before. So it's going to be much smoother and much more kind of slicked looking because it was just washed the night before. Mm-hmm. It's always funny to me. People take it so seriously. Like, why did you choose to do this? I'm like, dude, my hair was just doing this that day. It's just my hair. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, and so I pulled inspiration from a bunch of different sources, and I looked at that, and then I started kind of creating my own design, um, kind of from those and drawing it out. Um, I would, I would go to thrift stores, and believe it or not, I, you know, every part of my costume is basically built from scratch. But that was not my intention, because that's a pain in the ass. It's just a, it's a miserable, hard experience, as you know. <laughs> building, you know, this building something from scratch is just a shitload of daunting troublesome work with a thousand tune-ups and fixes and fine tunements and it's just it's just awful it's just awful <laughs> it depends on what you're doing but yes I, I, i've <laughs> been there where it's been hard. well okay men's jackets specifically okay. because they're just a men's uh, that's something a lot of people don't know is that you know um men's jackets are something that like most seamstresses and tailors don't even do that's actually that's i found out that is the distinction um, between a seamstress and a tailor, typically. Um, a tailor is someone who can do men's 
jackets. It's very specific, men's jackets, because a man's like suit jacket is one of the – if you ever take one apart and look at it, it is one of the most insanely constructed, convoluted, complex <laughs> um, pieces of architectural majesty that has – majesty that has ever existed. I mean, people don't realize it, but think about it. If you take a man's dress coat and you put it on a hanger on the back of a chair, it looks like there's a dude sitting there. Mm. It's a solid piece of equipment <laughs> that somebody simply, it's like armor made of cloth. Mm. It's so insanely constructed. Whereas a seamstress who can work on like, you know, slacks, dress shirts, uh, dresses, things like that, they're just light pieces of fabric that drape over a body. Mm-hmm. Whereas a jacket, it creates a body. You know, a jacket creates a man, and so um, yes, a jacket so, does wonders. I know. Yeah, and so it really is. It's difficult. So anyway, so I tried to just find stuff. I did. I went on eBay. I went on Craigslist. I went on every online store I could find. Zoot suit stores. Which, by the way, anybody out there who wants to get into like doing a Joker cosplay thing and they don't know if they can or want to try to create something from scratch and they want to try to find a suit, people always forget, dude, go to like any Zoot Suit website and look up Zoot Suits. It's going to be the best, coolest thing you can find in purple, mm-hmm. mind you. You know, go to any I, – I, this is going to sound whatever. I don't care. Look up any sort of like pimped playa type themed suit website mm-hmm. seriously and you're going to find bright, bold colors. Zoot suits, pimp suits, that kind of stuff. You can find well-made, beautiful suits for a few hundred dollars that are purple. You can find it. Mm-hmm. Check that out. But anyway, I went to all these things, and I just couldn't find anything that looked like, because I'm so particular, and I'm mm-hmm. so hung up on an image in my mind, mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything that works. And I meant, I meant with the suit, for the slacks, for the vest, for the spats, for the boots, for the shirt, for the tie, everything. I found nothing that fit the image in my mind and I was like and I mean I spent months searching I was like damn it damn it damn it okay I have to create this thing and um so I just started fabric hunting and um Mm -hmm. and I mean I'm so blessed now to be in New York and ironically I live in New York now where all the fabric comes from. That's all. I, <laughs> that's the only way I can put it. I come from New York, where fashion comes from. Mm-hmm. Fashion comes from here. It's where the fashion industry is. And so there are just, it's just like two or three streets. That's all it is in Manhattan. Two or three little streets where there are like 60 fabric stores in which you can find every fabric that exists. <laughs> if, and if you can't find it, I'm not lying, it does not exist. And you're just, if you can't find the thing you're looking for, you're going to have to change your mind. (laughs) Because there's no such thing as textiles for hire. You cannot create a new material from scratch. You can get something printed on a basic material, but it's going to look kind of shitty, unfortunately. It depends on what it is, but yeah. Yeah, it depends on what it is, but it's going to be tough. You actually can have something rewoven. It's just exorbitantly expensive, but I... Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Give me it, information. Uh, it, well, I mean, look, it depends on the fabric you want, et cetera, et cetera. But like an example is, uh, you know, I do Doctor Who cosplay and we did oh. a custom rewoven uh, brocade fabric for a waistcoat. Really? Yeah. Okay. 
did you who did you go to do you know is it like uh, yeah no, no i'm I, sorry i'm sorry i have some things that i've been wanting to do that like even though i can plan on kind of retiring the joker thing soon there's a couple like last hurrahs i want to get out there there really is like all the things i've been having in the back of my mind that i was like oh, i'll do it someday i'm finally like okay i gotta do it now i gotta do it all now <laughs> um um, I'll I'll send you uh, the the guys. Info, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, make a note that. on but, my yeah. desk. I did this thing with my desk. This is the most genius thing. I have a glass desk, and so what I did is I taped um, pieces of white paper on the underside of it. And so now now my d white computer desk, my glass computer desk, is a whiteboard. It's a dry erase board. So I have dry erase markers, and I make notes. And that way, I don't waste paper. I don't forget anything. Mm -hmm. It's the handiest thing ever. Nice. Anyway, um, woven yeah. custom. Okay. Anyway, so back to costume design. I thought I was going to give you the short version. What is this? Okay, hang on. <laughs> anyway, went fabric hunting, eventually found materials that I liked um, because I, I, I had, I'm very big on texture. Uh, as you can probably see if you look at, you know, photos with the right kind of lighting on my costume, mm -hmm. uh, I'm very big on texture and uh, dimension and depth um, because I would always... When, think, when, when working on the costume, whether it's mine or when we're working on Harley's or working on props, I always think about how will this look on camera? Um, because I wanted things to look – I wanted to create a, a costume that was what I would consider – if somebody was to make a movie, a Hollywood feature film with a true-to-the-comics incarnation of the Joker but that looked good for a Hollywood film, how would it look? Right. And so, you know, I looked at superhero movies. I looked at, you know, what they're doing now, what the trends are now, what reads well on camera. And it's very clear and very evident that texture reads well on camera. Mm -hmm. Smooth, spandexy, shiny things might be what your brain first goes to for like, okay, well, here's a character in, in blue tights, so I'm going to make it out of blue tights. Yeah, unfortunately, that's going to look really campy and silly in person and in photographs. It really will. I know it's it's what your mind first goes to, but there's a difference between a two-dimensional drawing on a small page versus a full-size human in a big photo. And so that was my obsession was finding textured things. And I actually my suit itself, the 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 um, the purple, you know, the trend, I mean the the waistcoat with the tails and the pants, I'm actually never I'm not happy with that fabric. No one really knows this. I don't really talk about it. I'm actually not happy with that fabric, but it's the best thing I could find. Sure. So, so I yeah. went with it. Been there. I wanted it to be much more like, actually, like the um, the material that the uh, artists did for the CG uh, Joker design for the Arkham Asylum game, where it's a um, two tone purple um, woven uh, like Joker Jockard. What's that term? Uh, Jackard. Jackard um, kind of fabric with like you see. The, the woven material. You see the color on itself striping because it was stitched one way and then stitched another way in, in the loom, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I wanted something that really had a heavy texture striping that would read like that. And well, that doesn't exist, at least not in the three or four fabric stores in San Diego, which is where I lived at the time. Right, right. You know, had I lived in New York, maybe I could have found it, but I, you know, I couldn't. So, on a small tangent, did you ever go up to the LA Fashion District to search for things? I did not, because I didn't know about it at the mm. time. I, I would be very curious to hear the comparison between LA and New York, because most people say, of course, New York is better because that's where the fashion comes from. But there are a lot of good choices in. The oh, I've heard though that LA, yeah, it's just massive, also, and it has some great stuff. Um, but I never got to look myself. 
Well, but next time you're out this way, you should. That's all I'm going to say. I, I will check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I found the, the, the fabric. I found like three or four different ones that I kind of considered candidates. And then, you know, would take photos of them and whittle it down. And it's funny, too, because now the, the, the bold white striping on my suit has become kind of kind of my signature you know people anytime i've gotten like people have done fan art of me which i think is the coolest thing in the world yeah, that's pretty cool people always remember that and they take note of that and they people love that and it's funny because when i first found it i was like that's just too bold it's too extreme it's too over the top but it worked and what i liked the most about it was that if you look at it up close um the white striping is not perfect it's very flawed it's um it's almost like someone took a white paint pen that was uh dripping ink almost like morse code <laughs> and and did lines along it so there's little gaps but they're not evenly spaced like evenly perfectly stitched mm-hmm. and it's that's actually one of the things that makes it so great is because i always thought everything about the character about the costume design should be a little ill mm-hmm. like i l l a little sickly just a little bit so that everything's just a little off. Mm-hmm. And so you have this, this striping, but if you get up close to it, you realize, oh, it's very kind of awkward. It's not perfectly spaced, which is why that fabric kind of think won out of the three or four kind of candidates I had. Mm-hmm. Um, the fabric for the vest, oh, it's the nastiest thing you've ever felt in your life. It's, <laughs> it's, it's upholstery fabric that was in like a bin that was about to get thrown away. There was a just a small chunk of it left. It was all discolored and nasty, mm-hmm. and it's hard as a rock, and it's just crunchy, and it's just awful. It's just awful. I loved it. Um, <laughs> I know, because I, it was this gross kind of thing, and and it had this heavy texture. Like you can you could you could grate cheese with that thing. It's, so, <laughs> it's like your bare fingers on it. It kind of hurts. It's like a very rough, hard texture. It's made with like. It's made with like rock hard polyester. It's just nasty, and um, and I found it, and I liked it, um, but it wasn't quite mustardy enough. It was a little too pale, so I actually dyed it um, a little bit of a darker color. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the buttons, I, I found this material again. I wanted everything to have some sort of texture or pattern, but you can't do. I found there's sort of a rule: you can't do texture on texture or pattern on pattern. Um, for example, okay. um, my uh, my jacket has this uh, striped pattern on it. Well, the buttons that are on the jacket can't have some detailed little pattern on them. It just visually would just clutter in a weird, funky way. Um, so I went with just a, a kind of a smooth sheen, dark purple buttons that I that I made. I just got metal buttons, and just covered them with two layers of material because I found that these two. Is a purple and a black that when they were on top of each other, they had kind of a different sheen to them. So I did two layers of of that for that. Okay. Um, that's also a fun thing. If you ever get like a couple sheer materials, put them on top of each other, and you get a whole new thing. It's really oh, fun. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I think that's how they uh, the Phantom suit came together for the '96 film. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then um, for but for the vest, you know, it had this heavy striped texture to it, this really gritty texture. Well, then for the buttons, if I put a textured kind of material over it. It would just look. It would just clutter. It wouldn't look right. It wouldn't photograph well. The light would catch things in a weird way. Mm-hmm. But if I got a smooth, perfectly smooth material that had a little fun, detailed pattern on it, then the light would catch it in a nice, smooth way, so it would offset the heavy texture, but it would have a pattern, and so it would still be unique, um, and without looking cluttered. So I got this um, this little swatch. I think it was for quilting. 
of this yellow material that had little white circles. But again, they weren't perfect. It looked like they were hand-drawn, little white hand-drawn, uneven, thicker and thinner, whatever else, little circles all over them. Mm-hmm. And put that on them. Um, floral was a big thing for me. I loved um, floral things for the Joker. But again, looking kind of sickly. So not like pretty, beautiful flowers, but more like 1970s wallpaper flowers. Yeah, uh-huh. Ugly, kind of awkward, mm-hmm. avocado offset by orange, just colors that shouldn't go together that people had in their kitchens in the 70s. Yep, yep. Um, that just, when you look at it now, you're like, that's kind of sickly looking. How are these colors popular and beautiful? These are disgusting. <laughs> it's like rotting food. Um, and so I did, I did floral like that for the cuffs of the green shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would take, but I took a fabric marker, a yellow fabric marker. And I think an orange fabric mark and did little little touches um, in some of the petals just to make them a little more off. And it's it's all these little things, these little details that no one notices, no one ever pays attention to, no one ever sees. But that's the thing, though, is that that actually makes the costume. Because if I didn't have all those little textures, all those little patterns, all those little details, mm. it would be somehow less. The overall image, when you're standing back, would go from, say, 90% to 70%. And you wouldn't know why, but it just would. All those little touches make such a huge difference in the overall vibe of the whole thing because then the closer up you get to that person, to that costume, the more there's still life, there's still personality. You know, from 100 feet away, it looks like a perfect two-dimensional cartoon pulled out of the comics silhouette with all the big blocked colors in their place. But then as you get up close, it just becomes more rich and more layered. That's what I like. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, well, more real. More real. And even like with the tie, uh, the black tie is not just a plain black fabric. It's actually a black floral brocade fabric. Um, but it's just black on black. So it just looks black in photos. But if you get up close or if it's lit from the side or whatever else, you see, oh, it has this floral, kind of sickly floral texture to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so fabric hunting. And, but it wasn't all over the course of a day. You know, I spent months and months and months just still looking until I found the right thing. Mm, yep. So once I started finding the right materials, um, I, I can't sew. I can draw my ass off. I can, I, can, I can draw circles around people. I can costume design like a motherfucker. I cannot sew mm. to save my butt. Um, and so uh, I had a seamstress who I knew for many years, who I went to all the time, to just, just take in my clothes because I'm a, I'm a uniquely proportioned man. <laughs> I'm, I am. I'm only 5'8". Okay. Uh, uh, so I'm not tall. But... And I have a very short torso. Um, like my waist is high. I my my belly button to nipple ratio is like an equilateral triangle. It's very bizarre. <laughs> I have a little square torso with just legs and arms. I have the legs and arms of a of a taller man. I'm all limbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my legs and arms of somebody who's about five eleven. Mm-hmm. I also have uh, broad shoulders, um, which again is weird for. Somebody with like a 36-inch chest. <laughs> uh, I, have a, I have a small chest, but I have broad shoulders. So, yeah, it's like – so basically what I have to do is I have to get – and even my neck isn't super tiny. So I have to get like larger size shirts, uh, but then I have to have them taken in and shortened on the, on the torso length. I have to have them shortened. I have to have them taken on the sides and on the sleeves to fit yeah, me because I'm, yeah. I'm nimble. Gotcha. 
So I've been, so I've been going to her for years to basically alter every damn shirt I own. And I mean every shirt. I would take I would take, you know, short sleeve shirts or like, here, could you take this in here? Thanks. You know, even to get it to fit right? me right. Not t shirts. I wouldn't do t shirts. Okay. No, that's just boys <laughs> large. No, I'm kidding. Or men's small. Well, now actually what it was is in the nineties when the fad was really baggy clothing, it'd be boys large or boys extra large. Now the trend is form fitting clothing, so I can do men's smalls and they fit me really nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um but anyway, uh, I would take everything to her. So I knew her and I trusted her. Well, she had never made something for me from scratch. She did dresses and things. So this was a big, because she had never done a suit. She'd never done this kind of thing. And she told me, she's the one who's like, actually, I'm, I'm not a tailor. She's like, that's the difference. That's where I learned. I was like, oh. And I was like, but I, I know you and I trust you. And I think this will be great. And you will love it. And I, I promise I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll do everything I can to be helpful. <laughs> and... Um, and so we worked very closely on that. Um, and she she was very patient with me because I'm very particular. But the nice thing is, though, I knew I know what I want. And because I was able to also give very detailed drawings, I would find sometimes I would find things at thrift stores or online. Like I found a jacket. I found a waistcoat that had the perfect collar, I mean the perfect lapels. It was perfect. And so I would get it. I'd take it from the fish store and I bring it and I'd be like, okay, see, these are the lapels we need. We need to do these, but what I'll do is, and I would create the patterns. And I, you know, we'd, we'd trace it. She'd take it apart. We'd trace it onto butcher paper and then I'd redraw it on the butcher paper like, and enhance it or change it. Mm-hmm. Um, or like the tails. Uh, you know, we had a version of the tails that we worked on and it was, so I just, we eventually just had to roll out the butcher paper on the floor and I just took a pencil and I just kind of eyeballed it. Uh, I have a really good sense of proportion and I just drew what the tail should be and we used those and those were perfect for the tails and it was the same thing with the Harley collar the collar that our Harley has if you've ever known anybody who's made a Harley costume they'll tell you that collar is 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 so make believe <laughs> <laughs> because in the in the animated series it's it's as if it's just six evenly sized little dollop petal shapes draping around her neck well in reality that, that does not work at all um it's it's actually a very strange shape that when laid out flat doesn't even connect. Mm-hmm. That way when it's wrapped around, it all droops down. And that way it pillows more in the front and then in the sides it tapers and then there's space for the shoulders. It's a weird shape. Well that was just that was just me drawing it by hand and cutting it out of paper and going, All right, here's the pattern for this. And um so I worked very closely with her, just fine tuning it and fine tuning it and fine tuning it. And I mean some of the choices I made uh are very are very interesting because everything about the Joker costume was designed to make me look uh, tall and slender and long. Because in my in my mind, I'm not the right body for the Joker. The Joker should be six feet tall and uh, and lanky. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm lanky for somebody of my height, but I'm not as lanky as I always viewed my kind of all encompassed sort of culmination of Joker imagery. Joker should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was all designed to make me look lean. So everything is very tight fitting around my my torso and my limbs. It's very tight. I get so hot in that thing because it's like I'm in saran wrap made out of cloth. Everything <laughs> is everything is tight. If I gain like five pounds, 
I'm busting out of that thing. Like mm. I was a little, I had put on about uh, six or seven pounds before the last convention I was at. I mean, you can't tell in most photos, and it's fine because it's subtle. And I don't gain weight in the face, which is weird. I just get hips and a butt like a mm. woman. Mm. But, okay. um, but man, you know, it's tough. I have to stay a particular way, and it's tough too because um, when I was doing the Joker for San Diego Comic Con, you know, for this suit, it was sort of like an actor preparing for a role in that. I actually intentionally lost some weight for the sake of being able to physically look longer and lankier. Oh, yes. I lost about five or six, five to ten pounds, specifically leading up to Comic-Con. So for Comic-Con, I would be the Joker. I'd be the spindly, spidery thing. Mm-hmm. Well, now, then I started being asked to go to all these conventions. And I was like, I want to have pizza again. <laughs> I want to This is really hard. I'm, I shouldn't be this damn skinny. Mm-hmm. And I had to stay that damn skinny. And it was tough. Um, I completely understand. Been there. Yeah. Well, yeah. But things like so that's why also everything is vertical stripes. The suit, vertical stripes. The vest, vertical textured stripes. The um, the the collared shirt I have is actually it's a it's a jacquard uh, material where it's green on green. And same with the black one. It's black on black vertical stripes. Um, so it's subtle, but everything to elongate me. And uh, same thing with my posture. Posture makes a big difference in how long and tall you look. So it's always standing in what dancers call first position, where you have one foot pointed out from the side of your other foot. And then the foot that's pointed out is when it's facing the camera. And the foot that's turned to its side is is away from the camera. Mm -hmm. As you are basically, you know, your hips are facing forward, but the camera is to, like, let's say your left. And so then you turn your upper body to the left. So what does it do? It makes you look long and lanky. So it's always posing like that to look long and lanky. Mm-hmm. Um, the cuffs on my – oh, by the way, my, my, my boots, I, I added like an inch of heel to them. But I tapered it so that they're almost like high heels where it's like pointed down sure. so that I'm kind of leaning forward so that when I have to stand up straight, I have to lean back. Again, makes me look even taller. And then even – this is not a joke – even the cuffs on my pants – I mean not the cuffs, the hem mm-hmm. on the bottom of my pants is actually hemmed at an angle. So they taper down. So it's even more from the toes to the tip of my head. It looks like everything is just angled down and stretching up. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Like a like a Cuban heel is what you're describing. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Cuban heel, but even like I said, even the cuff of my pants is not straight across. It is it is at a like a not 45 degree. I wouldn't say, but like instead of 90, it's at like a 68 degree angle, kind of kind of pointed down. Um, so yeah, everything everything was was designed to make me look tall and long and lanky, and so that was that was it. That's how it got made, and then after that. <laughs> It's just fine-tuning, fine-tuning, fine-tuning. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, it, it never stops, I think. Uh, the, cufflinks, the cufflinks were a difficult thing because as, you, as you've probably seen, I have like those killing joke cufflinks. Right. Uh, and those were just, you know, I just saw, you know, I just loved that touch. That was a Brian Boland thing. That was, he was the one. Now, the design that he uses is, is the original Joker card design from way, way back. Um, I think from the original Joker comic, the, the Batman versus the Joker from Batman number one, 1941, I think it is, 1940, 1940. But, um, but Brian Boland was the first one to give the Joker these gold cufflinks with that Joker card design on it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. So that was a whole adventure onto itself that ended in disappointment, but finally uh, proper execution. Um, 
I wanted to do as much myself as I could without paying people. Because also, you know, I didn't have, I didn't want to spend money. It's money's money, and I don't yeah. have a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. especially for something that, you know, I'm not going to, I didn't think I was going to make any money doing. I mean, luckily now I've been able to sell some prints online because of the popularity of the page, and I've made some money. Not a lot. It's not like, because I know, I mean, like, a lot of the you know female cosplayers out there who are very popular and have popular Facebook pages, they tell me they sell like a hundred prints a week or fifty prints a week, and I'm like, how the? I'm like, that's a lot. I like, I don't, I don't do that. I sell, and uh, unless I have like some really new popular photo as a print that like kind of spread, and which is like every several like every six months if I'm lucky, mm-hmm. I sell you know uh, a print a week. I sell maybe one a, one print a week. It's about it, like one or two. Like it's it's not a mu- it's not much. Like I you know I make like thirty bucks a week on cosplay if it's if it's a good week. Like it's not, a, and that's before of course cost of printing and shipping. All right, that. right, right. Yeah, Which exactly. Basically, I make like fifteen bucks a week on on cosplay. So I'm rolling in dough. I bought ice cream uh, three <laughs> nights in a row. Now I'm broke again. Um, that's what it is. Like I bought a, I bought two six packs of beer. Okay, I'm done. Like that's my money. That's what I have. So um, the couplings. So I tried to make them 100% by myself, and so I was like, okay, so I have to create a design first of all. So I created the design, which is basically uh, just a recreation of Brian Boland's design, except that I added, I I made the the face my face because I just thought, well, if it's my Joker, it should be my face. That just makes sense. Everything should be based on me as if I was the Joker in this little make-believe universe of this costume where I am the Joker. Mm-hmm. So it was my face. It's the cufflink design. And I was like, okay, this is, this is really interesting. You're going to love this. How do I make cufflinks? All right. Well, I guess I need to create it out of like some sort of clay and then cast it, create a negative, and then cast that with like, I don't know, bronze or something, right? Mm-hmm. That's my thought. Um, so how do I do that, and how do I get it perfectly detailed? Well, first I tried like taking a piece of you know, a small little, I would cut out a tiny little, you know, one inch, or not even one inch, it's like three-quarter inch by half an inch, little like quarter-inch thick, just tiny little sliver little sheet of clay, and then I would take a pin and try carving the design out. Well, that just doesn't work. It just doesn't. You get clumps. You get weird shapes. It's not even. So I was like, okay. So I started then finding websites that create a custom stamps. So I would get my design made as a custom stamp, and then like a rubber stamp, and then okay. stamp that into the clay Mm-hmm. And then cut out the shape, and of course that took a, like you know a month because it would take like a week to get each one made and shipped to me, and of course each one wasn't quite the right size because it was hard to get the size exactly right on the stamp. So then I eventually created a master stamp that was like four stamps across of different scaling ups of my design, okay. from, sm- from yeah. small to oversized, so one of them would work. And then cutting the stamp, sawing through the wood, cutting it so it was just the right one. Stamping that into the clay, cutting the clay out, kind of flattening it some, baking the clay, getting it hard, and then going out to somebody I knew who did like metal casting and working out. Well, of course, I had to pay for materials. Well, in the end, I ended up spending like $300 on different casting materials, different, different, um, because it couldn't be done in ceramic because the clay, uh, which was baked, because it had to be baked to hold its shape because it's such a tiny design. Um, the clay would shatter, 
Mm-hmm. So it had to be a silicone mold. Well, silicone is very expensive. Different casting waxes are very expensive. I had to buy all these materials to do this because he's like, well, I'll let you use the facilities and I'll help you do it and I'll help you kind of go through the motions with you and show you what to do, but you have to buy the materials. Well, eventually, I, I spent like 300 bucks and I could never get it because the design was so small and detailed. It never came out. It never came out. And I tried so many times. And it never came out. So much material is used. Was never able to get a proper negative. Never even got to try pouring a metal mold. Never was never able to get a proper negative. And I was so defeated. And this was like, this is about three months, you know, all leading up to San Diego Comic Con. Three months spent trying to make these couplings. Driving out to this guy lived a ways out from me, like in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a Ren Fair god he was that did metal casting for all the geeks and just. It lived out, out there, and I just never, it never worked. And, um, and he's a nice guy, hard worker, tried real hard, worked with me, tried everything he could, and in the end, it just didn't work. And I just had to eventually just find a website that did custom cufflink engravings and find cufflinks that I thought looked right, you know, gold, flat, rectangular cufflinks. And get those to them and send them the design and tell them how I want it etched. Here's my design. Please etch my design on these cufflinks. And here's 50 bucks. And, and they turned out beautiful. But, <laughs> it's, you know, but it's just one of those things where like, I wanted to make it myself. I really did. I try to make everything myself. Mm-hmm. That's why I love you know, the cane prop because that's 100% me. It's why I love you know, Alyssa's mallet. That's all us. You know, the only thing that we outsourced for that mallet was um, basically taking it to an auto body shop to get it all uh, coat, all sealed in a clear matte finish automotive polyurethane, thing, which is what all the prop houses in L.A. told me to do because I would call them all and say, I have a foam prop. It's painted with acrylic. How do I seal it? And they'd say, you got to go to an auto body shop and get it sealed in a clear matte finish polyurethane. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and that works. And they were right because they are they know what they're doing because you know they work for Universal. How um, much uh, did that run you? The the auto body paint. Yeah. Um. It was like that. That was the most expensive part of the whole thing. I think that was like a uh, hundred and twenty bucks, something like that. Mm. But you no, know, it was either that or the whole thing would flake and crumble. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I just I, I we had to do that. Mm-hmm. Um. But anyway, so that was the cufflink experience. Uh, the cane experience was a little different. I had sculpted that cane top, believe it or not, years before I ever did that Joker cosplay. So it's just as a design, just to do it? Um, no, it was for my feeble attempt when I was a young man. So everything about that costume when I was a young man was awful. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about it. Um, but I did make a really awesome cane prop. And actually, the cane itself was awful, but the head of the cane was great, and it was my head. And that was actually, <laughs> believe it or not, I, I had never sculpted before. Um, so the fact that I was able to sculpt, and I've never sculpted since, and I don't know why. I guess it's just because it's not a passion of mine, but apparently I can sculpt. I didn't know that, and that's kind of a neat thing to know about myself. <laughs> Even though I don't do it, I have no passion for sculpting, no love of it at all. But it's really cool that I was able to sculpt a pretty damn near great replica of my head mm-hmm. um, that's just a couple inches tall and it looks just like me mm-hmm. and uh, that's pretty nifty um, <laughs> so, but the thing is this is I did it before I knew anything about molding and casting all this other stuff so um, it's that is the original 
Wait, wait, wait. So you never made like a copy. You just sculpted and painted it? Yeah. Um, and I was, I was thinking, and because it was, it was made out of Super Sculpey, which, of course, you know, if it's more than like a quarter inch thick, it's not going to cook all the way through. It's not going to bake because you just bake it in a home oven. It's not going to bake all the way through. So, and it also weighs a freaking ton. So, it's actually, I made basically, I made like a skull. I made a human skull out of aluminum foil crumpled up. And then started just building the clay on top of it and shaping it and, and carving and all that. And even the crown, even that, that, that head, that gesture hat he has on, is the base of it is just aluminum foil doing the framework. And then just covered in a thin coating of clay that did the final shaping and all the detail work. Mm-hmm. And I did all this detail work and I baked it and I spray painted it. I, I primed it and then spray painted it. And, um, and I made sure to put a, a small piece of a wooden dowel up inside of it, um, so it oh no no the, yeah so it could screw on, and um, and that was it. And I baked it. And the thing is, the problem with that is it's super sculpy. If anybody knows, is very brittle. Mm-hmm. It's very fragile, mm-hmm. and so I can't drop that thing. I can't set it down at any point on anything too hard of a surface too quickly. In fact, at Big Wow 2013, it did fall. And one of the uh, one of the little crowns of the of the jester hat shattered. Ooh. And I was traumatized. And it's all been super glued back together. But if you look at it, it's clear that it was shattered and just kind of super glued back together. It doesn't look <laughs> as nice as it used to. And so when I was working with this guy on the cufflinks, trying to make those, which never ended up happening, I also tried to g- make a cast of this because I was like, well, I don't have a cast of this, so. Um, the original was made with just a wooden dowel as the as the cane body, and it was. Um, by the way, cut me off, Vinny. This is boring. No, no, no. Uh, I, I'm curious. And so um, the original was made with that wooden dowel as sort of a permanent fixture inside of it. It was made of like a hollowed pocket for this wooden dowel to go into the neck, and so it's just super glued in there. So I had to saw the wooden dowel off. Now, this was traumatizing because I'd had this thing for years just sitting on a shelf, never used, but just knowing that it's the one thing I've sculpted and it turned out great and it's the coolest thing I've ever made. Because I've been drawing my whole life, so I don't consider drawing very neat to me because I'm like, well, it's two-dimensional. I get it. I understand it. When something is three-dimensional, my mind is blown because I'm like, you actually made a thing. That's so much cooler than drawing to me. Um, and so this is the only thing I'd ever like made. And I was like, that's just cool. It was 3D. Um, so I was very attached to it and didn't want to hurt it. And so um, we tried to do a mold of it. And uh, so to do that, I had to saw off the, 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 the cane of it. So it's just the head. I had to sand off. Well, try to, try to remove the paint remover and then sand off all the paint from it. And so now it's down to its bare naked self. It's been beaten and sanded and, uh, and, and had acetone all over. And it's, just, it's just my poor baby's dying. Mm-hmm. Had all the bells taken off of the ends, because those are all real, just tiny little bells. And, um, and we tried to cast it, and the problem is it has all these crazy undercuts to it because of that crown thing and because of the collar. Uh-huh. So all these little undercuts. And so it's another thing that after try, after try, after try, it just couldn't be done. Now, and also all the details couldn't be gotten. Now, hypothetically... The details could have been gotten had we done it in a silicone mold and been able to vacuum mold it. But the problem is we couldn't vacuum mold it because the original 
was not solid. It was hollow. It had aluminum foil inside. If we vacuum molded it, it would have exploded and it would have crumbled into a billion little tiny thin pieces of Super Sculpey. And all that would have been left was an aluminum foil skull. So basically, because when I originally did it, I had no knowledge of molding or casting, uh, and I didn't know how or what or any of that stuff, I didn't plan for that. And so it just couldn't be done. So again, while I was doing the couplings, we were also working on this. And so several months of trial and error finally ended in failure. And so I just took my original, um, repaired it because it had gotten a little beaten up, reprimed it, repainted it, and then created a new neck for it, a new body for the cane, which ended up being much better because I took a – it's actually a pool cue. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I took a pool cue, sawed it down, and, um, which is great because pool cues split in the middle. So it comes apart in the middle and also made it so that the head now screws on and off. So it's actually now better because now it's really easy to travel because the cane comes, into, comes apart into thirds. You have the head and two parts of the neck. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, um, you know, uh, remind me at the end here, um, I, have a, I have a friend I'm often doing projects with. We're, we're doing you know, castings of you know, Oblivion guns and Doctor Who umbrellas and all that stuff. Uh, you should talk to him and see if there's any way to you know, possibly reapproach this at some point because he's really good at that stuff. And well, it might, you might end up with the same problems, but at least it's worth a consultation. Well, the way to do it now, I know the way I would do it now, it's thanks to new technology, is um, there are, you know, I just, don't, I just don't know who to contact and I don't know, because it's one of those things where it would cost so much money that I would need to kind of like have somebody who wants to help me because they like it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is basically do a 3D scan of it. Yep. And then I could take that 3D digital model and I could also clean up the imperfections, the fingerprints, things like that that are on the original clay model of it, make it a little more symmetrical, make it a little more resembling me and really fine tune it. And then either 3D print it, which is kind of a pain because you don't have to sand every inch because 3D printing is not as perfect as people think it is. There's I a know. lot of us. Either 3D print it or there's another thing that somebody told me about where it's like, it's like Minority Report, where basically it 3D like carves out of wood or 3D sculpts. Out. I've seen things like that, um, which is really neat. But basically, something like that, some sort of digital model that is then either CNC'd or 3D um, printed. That's where it would go next if it were to go anywhere. Um, I'll give you his email. He might be able to help you. All right. Um, so. Uh, what I also like to ask is, uh, outside of an event, what has been your single best experience in the costume? Uh, like what? What do you mean? Uh, a moment, uh, meeting a celebrity, meeting a oh, fan oh, or something like that. Oh, um, uh, you know, it's two. There's two of them. Uh, one uh, was Julie Newmar. Oh, and that yeah. Was, and that was at Stanley's Kamikaze mm. because Julie loved me. <laughs> she loved me and I was walking by her booth and she saw me and instantly just went <gasps> and called me over and it's so funny because I, I looked up her bio and she's born and raised in America and she has a weird accent and I don't know she's a, she's a kook yeah. she's funny and she's sweet and she's she is just this she just oozes vivacious she just she is Catwoman that's the thing she that version of Catwoman she did on the on the Adam West show She's not playing a character. She's just being Julie Newmar. <laughs> and, um, 
And it was so great because I got to sit behind her booth with her, behind yeah behind her booth with her, and kind of pose for photos with her. But it wasn't like we were just smiling for photos. We were playing. It was like two old theater actors who, and I could just tell that she was like a classically trained theater actress, and she could tell that I had that. And we just like just played and goofed and and handed it for the cameras and played with each other. And there's just there's just this great energy and click we had, and it was so much fun, and I just loved it so much. It was such a highlight for me because I, you know, when I was a little kid, I loved that show and I loved her, mm-hmm. and it was so great to be able to to play with her. I really loved that. That was that was a big highlight for me, and then the last one is actually one of the most recent ones. It was a dream come true, really, which was um, I got to go to. I was invited to a convention in Mexico. Uh, which is where all the conventions I'm invited to go are. I've never been invited to an American con except Big Wow. Everything else, Latin America loves me. I I I have been invited to, and I haven't gone to a lot of them because they're just some of them are so far away, and I just I'm not doing as many cons anymore because I'm kind of getting a little burnt out on doing the Joker at conventions. It's just the truth of it. But like I've invi- been invited to name any country in Central and South America, they have invited me. Latin America loves the Joker. I don't know what it is. Um, they do. Um, but I got to go to this convention in um, it was Con Comics, and it was in oh I believe that was the one in Mexico City, and um, and I got to meet Brian Boland. Uh, he was there, and he doesn't do a lot of conventions mm-hmm. because he's very shy. Um, he is he is such a sweet guy, and it's funny too because he he's kind of like in, and let me explain this. He's kind of like Peter Mayhew in the sense that people sometimes like I've heard people on blogs or whatever if I comment about somebody say like oh I heard he's a total asshole at conventions. No, he's not. He is like Peter Mayhew. He is an incredibly sweet, fun, funny, warm guy. He's not an extrovert. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Some people are extroverts and they play to the crowd and they know how to ham it up. I'm a big extrovert. I know how to play for the crowds. I know how to ham it up for an audience. I know how to be out there and big. I know how to play and schmooze. That's how I I am. I know that side of it. He's not like that. Some people aren't like that. He's an artist and he's introverted and he's he's funny. He's sweet as can be. Very nice guy. Uh, very bright guy, but he's an introvert. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so if you don't understand that, if you're a fan who's very energetic and you're probably 16 and you're hyper and you are enthusiastic as can be and you're running up to him and you're screaming and you're jumping, you're going to terrify the poor guy because <laughs> not everyone's like that. Right, right. And not everyone's good at handling that. And so, you know, he'll just kind of be a little, he's quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, thank you very much. Oh, okay, great. Thank you very much. And he'll just sign Brian Boland. Okay, thank you. Have a great day. And he's completely genuine and he means it, but he's just not a big extrovert guy. Yeah, so yeah. people need to understand that. But anyway, I got to meet him and I was just I was just so ecstatic. And he I was so glad because I got his stamp of approval, basically. You know, he loved it. He thought it was great. He was very impressed. He loved it. He loved the makeup. He loved, you know, the some of the choices I made with the design and things like that. And mm-hmm. we talked about different things. And we talked about it and talked about art and talked about the Joker. I mean, I got to hang out with him. I got to have dinner with him a couple nights. Oh, you know, wow. it was great. You know, um, 
Yeah, I just loved it. I felt bad. I felt like I was imposing. I'd always kind of want to, when people would be like, oh, you want to come over here and talk to Brian again? Or want to go over there? We're all having dinner. You want to come? And I'm like, I don't want to feel like I'm some nerdy fan who's pushing. But they're yeah. like, no, no, you're, you're a guest too. It's okay. Just don't be weird. I'm like, all right. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, it was great though. I had a great time. And with that, I also got to make really good friends with uh, another uh, great artist, um, uh, Joe uh, Staten. Uh, and his wife, Hillary, who's also, she's really great. She writes uh, history books. It's kind of fun. But he's a great, he's a classic comic book artist. And they actually live in New York. So I've gotten to, Alyssa and I have gotten to hang out with them and do stuff. And it's really fun. Um, I think that's been, overall, the, the coolest thing has just been being able to be invited to some conventions. Mm -hmm. um, but not the giant, giant mega conventions that don't invite cosplayers. But like the little conventions that invite cosplayers and occasionally get, you know, some cool guests also. And so you get to be kind of on the level with these people and just hang out and talk with them. You know, oh, people yeah. who you admire. Like, um, uh, another one, actually, this is kind of funny. It's one of the funniest ones. There's another people who sometimes people are like, oh, he was totally rude. I tried talking to him or I, I, I said hi to him and he didn't even acknowledge me, is Lou Ferrigno. Mm -hmm. Well, Lou Ferrigno's deaf. Yeah. And people are so stupid because they're like, oh, he's a total asshole. I, was, I said hi to him and I waved to him when he was talking. He didn't even look at me. I'm like, he couldn't fucking hear you, dude. <laughs> he's deaf. Give him a break. They're like, I thought he was German. No, he's from Brooklyn. He's just deaf. Wow. <laughs> and no, he's somebody who I got to meet at. Um, he's Lou Ferrigno, by the way, is one of the funniest people, and one of he is he is probably one of the warmest people and friendliest people I've ever met. Lou got me drunk. <laughs> I was at I was at a convention in Guadalajara with Lou Ferrigno, and we and after the convention we were eating at the hotel because actually we were at the Hilton and they had which was like the nicest hotel I've ever stayed at mm -hmm. uh, at uh, uh, what was it what was the name of the convention it was uh, La Mole oh no La Mole Comic Con was in um, I think La Mole was the one in Mexico City with Brian Boland Con Comics was the one I believe in Guadalajara. With um, I got to go and and John Glover, the actor, yeah, yeah. was there. Who's who's? Oh, he's he is also he's funny as hell. He's just a funny, goofy guy. I love him. I can uh, he's it. he's also in New York right now because he's doing a show. Uh, he's doing Shakes in the Parks. So I got to go see that and hang out with him afterwards and stuff. He's really cool. Mm -hmm. He's he's funny. He's a goofball. Um, but Lou Ferrigno, so funny. It was it was me and Alyssa and uh, two of the other uh, cosplay guests who were there um, with Lou having dinner. And my, I swear to God, my only impression I can do of Lou Ferrigno is just him saying, because he just kept getting wine. He's like, have another glass. Have some more wine. Here, have some more wine. Have another glass. Here, have some more wine. I'll get some more wine. Here, uh, Anthony. And I'd be like, oh, man, Lou, I'm feeling it. He's like, have another glass. Have some more wine. He's the biggest instigator of getting me drunk. Because he had a whole bottle of wine himself. Sure, because sure. people don't realize it's because he's so broad and thick and has such big hands. He doesn't look like he's tall. He looks yeah. like he's stocky. Yeah. No, Lou is 6'5", oh, like 6'4". Yeah. He's just a mountain of a man. He's mm -hmm. just a big dude. Mm -hmm. Big guy, big shoulders, big hands, just a big man. Right. And, I mean, his arm is the size of my thigh, like his <laughs> bicep. It's not even a joke. And and so he can drink a bottle of wine and then go to bed. Yeah. Well, I must have had, I think, I had also the equivalent of an entire bottle of wine myself. I'm 5'8". I weigh like 140 pounds, and I'm vegetarian, and I 
don't drink that often. I'm not built to break down alcohol at high capacity. <laughs> I'm just not. Give me two. Give me like three beers and I'm done. I'm like, all right. I had my three. I'm not drunk, but I'm buzzed to the point where like if I have a fourth beer, I'm puking that night. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to do it. Mm-hmm. Two or three beers and I'm like, I'm cool. So a whole bottle of wine? Yeah, no. So I had a whole bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. I was drunk as can be. Mm-hmm. Hanging out with Lou Ferrigno in Mexico in May. You know, just wearing like a, a silk shirt and just trying to stay cool, having wine at the Hilton with Lou. Mm-hmm. That's that's another great one. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's honestly that's been the best thing has been, and the coolest moments has been the fact that I've gotten to be invited to these conventions where I have gotten to literally spend a ton of time with these people who I have admired and and idolized and looked up to and just been so inspired by some of the work they've done. I mean, John Glover is one of the greatest character actors. I've I've loved so much of the work he's done, some of the films he's done, and some of the, the quirky characters he's played. And and also as an actor, it's funny because he and I have, you know, he's I've played similar kinds of characters too, because he's often been cast as kind of eccentric or villainous roles. And mm-hmm. I I've tended to get some of those too. Um, which is funny because I'm I'm a very light and comedic person myself, and as you can tell, I'm, I like to make jokes. I'm very goofy and silly, but I always get cast as these kind of dark, kind of morbid characters. Sometimes I guess because I look evil. I don't know. <laughs> um, That's so, but you uh, you have a point. I was thinking about how uh, Glover's so known for doing Lionel Luther uh, yeah. and and being you know kind of evil. But I'll never be able to shake his goofier parts like in Scrooge or Gremlins 2. Yeah. And, you know, and how that's the, the John Glover I'm always probably going to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is funny, too. It's funny, too, because also, like, his, his look has kind of come full circle. Because I was watching, he actually had, I think his first film role was in Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. Very small part, uh, as a lot of actors. A lot of actors' first films were Annie Hall, tiny parts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Goldblum had a one line in Annie Hall. Uh, John Glover had like one line in Annie Hall. Uh, what's her name? Um, 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 Shelley Duvall had like a small scene in Annie Hall. Everyone had like their first part in that film, which is kind of funny. But John Glover was the person during during one of the flashbacks. Um, Diane Keaton's character, you know Annie Hall, is having this flashback of uh, this guy she used to date, and it was this artist guy who had like this big crazy hair and this beard. Well, that was John Glover. Oh. And that was John Glover with the exact same kind of look he had as, I think, Lionel Luther, and that he still has now, kind of the bigger lion's mane of hair and the goatee. And that's, that was his look, like, in the 70s. And then he spent all, like, the 80s and 90s, like, you know, blonde and, and shorter hair and clean-shaven. And then he kind of went back to that, that more grandiose, uh, theatrical lion's mane of hair and the goatee or beard kind of thing. It's just kind of funny. Hmm. Yeah, never thought about um, that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, purely for the end of the Yang, uh, have you had a um, a uh, bad experience in costume? <laughs> I had one. Um, it was really, pardon my language, it was really fucked up. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't like any sort of personal attack thing. It wasn't like that. Uh, I haven't gotten too much of that. Um, that's always behind closed doors. It's funny how, like, in person, people are very sweet. And nice, but then as soon as they go online, yeah, as people like you're like, really, what? What did I do? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you two. I'll tell you two of them. My two bad experiences. Then we have to get back to something happy. Sure. Um, so don't end on a bad note. The two bad experiences I've had: one in person and one online. Uh, the one in person was 
I had gone to, you know, as you know, I'd gone to San Diego Comic Con 2012. That's when the photos of me blew up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was, um, they became kind of big online. And so then people were like, hey, are you going to go to any more conventions? And so then I started looking up, well, what conventions are there? And I went to, next I went to uh, Stanley's Kamikaze. And I'm there. It's my second convention as, as like with this personification of the Joker. People now recognize me a little bit from the internet because those photos kind of went viral. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I've always been very, I will pose for any and every photo with everybody. I never say no to people unless I'm a guest and I'm being rushed to like a panel or something. And I'm like, I have to run, I have to run, take it quick, but I have to run. Right. Otherwise, I pose for every photo with everybody. I've never turned anyone down. Mm-hmm. And um, these guys come up to me like, hey, hey, can we get a photo with you? I'm like, oh, sure. Now, after San Diego Comic-Con, before Stanley's Kamikaze, the Dark Knight Rises debuted. That's right. And if you remember, something really horrible happened at the premiere, at one of the screenings, which is that shooting oh, of right. that guy, that, that guy who called himself the Joker and who's just this crazy fucking like teenage guy, I think, with like orange hair and mm-hmm. was just really fucked up in the head. Clearly yeah. has a lot of baggage, a lot of issues. Right, right. Uh, Excited to say that mean thing that he was messed up in the head, but just you know had a lot of issues, and um, and that was becoming associated with the Joker, which you know I'm actually kind of glad that I kind of became popular around the same time online because I, I hope that I kind of in maybe a tiny way helped push a positive personification of that. No, 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 no. Mm, it can be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because I was. And especially after that, I was all about, after that, for the next convention, I was all about, okay, don't go dark. Don't go evil with the photos and all that stuff just for a little while because I just go for the fun, silly stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was trying to do that with like photos and stuff. Just keep it fun and silly for a little while. Well, that's, that's um, my only issue with the Heath Ledger Jokers. He's almost too, I mean, he worked very well for the films. He did a brilliant job, but you know, there, there's a little was, bit of. It was, oh yeah, it was brilliant for that story. He was the Joker that that script required. Mm-hmm. He did the job an actor is supposed to do perfectly. You are the right person for that script's version of that character and that story that's being told. Jack Nicholson was the perfect Joker for the story that he was in and the version that was written for him. Mm-hmm. That's an actor's job. Is to, If you're playing an iconic role, you have to completely detach yourself from the knowledge that this is an iconic role that's been played in the past, and just play the character in the script as honest and real as you can, just like you would any character. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. But anyway, so I'm at this convention, and these guys are like, hey, can I get a photo with you? I'm like, sure. And I stand, and I pose, and as soon as they're like, okay, ready? One, two, and right on three, as they bring up the camera, this guy busts out a cardboard cutout mask of that guy's face and puts it over his face. Ah. Uh. And so there I am, standing there, smiling, posing next to the face of this person who murdered and shot all these people in the name of this character that I'm standing right next to him um, dressed as. And, oh, I was mad. And I was like, hey, hey. And I just instantly, I was like, I looked over. I don't know if I looked over as the picture's being taken or just after. But he put up the mask, and I looked over, and I was like, 
And I instantly was like, hey, no, 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 no. You no, delete that photo. Please delete that photo. It is very important to me that you delete that. That is messed up. That is not okay. And I just I chastised. I'm like, this is not okay. Right. You cannot do this. This right. is really wrong. This person did a horrible, disgusting. Okay, and of course, they're just a bunch of teenage guys who are just laughing and thinking, oh, this is so funny and cool. We're so badass. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was pissed. Luckily, honestly, that photo has not surfaced. It never came out. So maybe they thought about it and realized this is kind of fucked up. Let's not do this. In which case, I'm very grateful that they decided that because it is. It's messed up. It's it not fun. Yeah. And it was like it was like the week after this happened. I'm like, that's not. Not only is that too soon, but I don't know if that's ever going to be funny. That's just kind of messed up. Very, very messed up. Yeah. Um, so that was the worst experience I ever had at a convention. But like I said, luckily it 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 seemed to uh, fizzle itself out. Um, and then the worst experience I had online um, was just. You know, people do this thing where, like, and I don't understand. I don't understand it. Um, where there have been several, like, every now and then, people will send me links on Facebook of like, "Hey, check it out! You're on Reddit again," or "Hey, check it out! Your photos on on." I think it's mostly like it's mostly Reddit, and I'll go and I'll be like, "Okay, cool. I'll check it out and I'll see a photo." I'm like, "Oh, that's a cool." And usually, I mean, all all photos. By the way, anybody who sends me a photo, hey, here's this photo I found of you. I've already seen it. Something a lot of people don't know is, believe it or not, I am personally the single and sole distributor of all me-related content. There is no other source of it out there. It's true. And so my Facebook page is where it all comes from. Mm -hmm. So any GIF you want to send me, any photo you want to send me or post on my wall, it's cool. But believe it or not, Two months ago, I posted it, and then it spread to blogs and Instagrams and Tumblrs, and you saw it. Now you're like, hey, you should see this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, anyway, so I'll go, though. I'll go to Reddit, and I'll see some photo of me. I'm like, oh, that's cool. It got on Reddit, and people like it. And then I'll scroll down, and then there will always be some person who will say, oh, yeah, I met this guy at a convention. He's a total asshole. He 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 said he he said I had to give him fifty bucks to take a photo with him, and he was really rude to me and my girlfriend or me and my kid, and he wouldn't pose for a photo unless I gave him money. Hmm. And then there'd be like three or four people who will jump on that and be like, "Oh yeah, I heard that too," or "Oh yeah, that happened to me too." And I'm like, "And that's completely bogus. That has never." ever ever happened i have never charged anyone for a photo ever because first of all i have only been okay one i've only ever been a guest at a convention a couple times and it's only been like in the last year and these are things that people would say like when i first showed up at right. one i'd only ever done like san diego comic-con and people are saying this i'm like first of all you've i've only done one convention or two conventions where I wasn't even a guest. I'm just a dude walking around just like you. Mm-hmm. Why would I charge people for photos? And also, how could I? <laughs> how could I stop somebody? If I'm standing here smiling like an idiot with an evil grin on my face, how can I say, wait, everyone stop. Give me money first. How is that even possible? <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing. Anybody who has ever actually met me at a convention and actually taken a photo with me will tell you, come they will tell you I am the sweetest, nicest, goofiest, most inviting, open to any and all photos with everyone ever. 
I, I have never charged to take a photo because that's why I'm there. I'm there to walk around and show off a neat costume thing I did mm-hmm. just like everybody else. And oh, so and it's just when people say that and they start going off and like, oh yeah, I heard he's a total prick and he's really this and he's he acts this way and he and again he charges for photos and he all this other stuff. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. And like or like oh, and he puts down other cosplayers and he says everyone else is shitty and he thinks he's this and that. I'm like, I've never, I just I don't know where this comes from. I don't know why people do this. And then I don't know why people will jump on that bandwagon wagon and attest to it and give them creden- credibility and like you know th- thumbs up their comment like 20 times I'm like really how 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 where does this come from is there some need to tear down some person who nobody knows mm-hmm. it's not like and it's not like I'm some hollywood movie star in some official dc thing where i've made my millions i've been accredited i've been acknowledged and i've you know i no, it's not like I'm somebody who has, who's like an official face of this and, you know, I have my established whatever. No, I'm just, uh, I'm just a dude who happened to have a Facebook page that became popular. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. I tell people, sometimes people will message me and I'll, I'll message back because I, I reply to every single post on my Facebook page and I reply to every single message people send me. And people will always be like, oh my God, I can't believe you messaged back. That's so cool. Ah! And I'm like, Listen, you know that friend of yours or you know that guy in high school who was very hyper and kind of spazzy and very creative, but you didn't really talk to him because he was a little weird? Okay, give him a Facebook page, all right? Now go and click like on that page. Okay, now he's me. <laughs> That's all it is, man. Uh, it's, you know, I'm just, I'm just a dude who happened to have a popular page online from some cool photos of a cool costume I made. Mm-hmm. That's it's not a big deal, and and the fact that people put so much time and passion into like hate, like spreading negative lies, I don't I don't get it. So that bothers me. So I I pretty much don't even go now to like Reddit. Uh, I went to 4chan once in my life. That is the greatest cesspool of negativity I've ever seen. So I've heard I, I don't go there uh, either. Mm-hmm. I think several wars have been forged in countries because of something somebody said on 4chan. It's like, <laughs> it's just insane. Yeah, I... Uh... Because it's not like Reddit where you still have a screen name. 4chan, I think, is like complete anonymity. Oh, boy. So it's just, it's just, it's just 15-year-olds being assholes run amok. It's mm-hmm. nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my, my only thought on somebody uh, making a claim that's not true uh, about you or any cosplayer would be either A, they're mixing you up with somebody else, which, I mean, I don't really know how they can do that, but it can happen. I've, I've, I've seen not so much the negative version, but I've seen that happen where somebody thought I was somebody else because they had another costume like mine, even though I know the difference, but not everybody else does. Yeah, um, well, when, we first, when I first kind of showed up, people got me confused actually with, with Donald Strand a bunch. We're like, oh, I saw you at this convention. I was like, never been. <laughs> so yeah it's so maybe some of that's going on but I, I yeah i don't know i i personally think that it's just people wanting to to rain on a parade they just want to i don't know this, yeah. tear you down somehow they just they just want to be able to be loud and have other people hear their loudness and talk about it that's mm-hmm. i guess it's an attention thing i don't know i don't get it no oh, well <sighs> well anyway uh, so those are the negative experiences yes i and i i I can see how that happens. Um, 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it doesn't put you off because, you know, at the end of the day, as you say, it should be fun. No, no. And it's, and it's rare. And it's, it's not like it's every day. It's, it's rare. It's just when it does happen, it's like, wow, I can't believe that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I like to, uh, to, to cover uh, tips. Um, now, uh, let's go back to makeup. Uh, now, somebody starting out, uh, what advice would you give them about applying makeup for a character? Um, well, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, because I tend to ramble, would it be a weird cop-out if I actually just read to you a short kind of write-up I did about that exact same thing? Uh, sure, if you like. Okay, no, because honestly, like, I did this write-up about it because people would ask me a lot. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to actually write a little, a little blurb kind of about this for people starting out and m- what my thoughts are personally on makeup and all that. And so instead of me talking for like 35 minutes and rambling on and getting off topic, I will actually read this thing because it's all something I wrote. And this way, it's concise and it's a little more direct and I won't ramble as much. What do you say? Okay. Got it. All right. Here it goes. Um, all right. I will open, though, by saying uh, as far as my makeup and what I do, um, a lot of people don't, don't realize this, but I actually – people always say, oh, what, what's the makeup that you use as if it's one thing? I use, I think, 14 different products altogether. I think there's maybe nine random-ass brands between them, and I mean stuff that you can just get like at a, you know, a, a drugstore, half of them, and I think it takes about three hours every time. So that's the trick, is there's no trick. <laughs> All right, so here's, here's what I wrote. Okay, time for a write-up. I'm posting this, um, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Okay, I want to make it clear. The following statements are just my opinion. I am not any sort of certified expert of any kind. I'm simply sharing a little bit of what I've learned from my own experiences. So, a prologue. I started playing with makeup about the same time I started drawing, around the age of two. I'm told I would take lipsticks and things out of my mother's makeup bag and scribble everything and everywhere with them. At this point, she put a pencil in my hand, set paper in front of me, and said, Here. I since always fiddled with both. I started doing my own Halloween makeup about the age of seven. And as adulthood approached and continued onward, I hollows eaved up the faces of friends, family, and created and applied character makeup for a few short independent film projects, both my own as well as others. I can do traditional beauty makeup, but I've always much more I've always had so much more fun creating characters. And that's what everyone asks me about. So that's what I'll discuss. Firstly, some basics. If you have a large area of skin, let's say your face, Covered predominantly in one color, find the right type of makeup. This can be achieved usually with either an oil-based or cream or water-based cake or an alcohol-based makeup. Some strengths and weaknesses of each. Creams have very strong colors, are very opaque, and blend well with one another. Oh, and blend with one another very well. The downside is they can rub off easily, can look streaky when sponged onto oily skin. It's heavy. And if you have oily skin, you might end up breaking out. Uh, water-based or cake makeup works a lot like watercolor paint. It's fairly translucent. It isn't heavy on the skin. And with some practice, doesn't streak very much um, and might not rub off too easily. The downside is it can really dry out your skin. It can take a lot of practice to get it right and applying because its activator water is also what takes it off. So if you start sweating heavily, your luck may run out. Alcohol-based makeup is completely water and sweat-proof. It doesn't rub off easily and can be used as a base underneath any other kind of makeup. The downside is it's expensive. 
Uh, like cake makeup, its activator, an alcohol solution, is the only thing that takes it off. And so unless you're using it in liquid form like an airbrush, you can't really get large areas of skin covered with a sponge like you would any other mentioned makeup types. Something else to consider when choosing one or more of these is your skin type and what you think will irritate your face the least. Next, defining the character. Again, solely my opinion and methodology. One must recognize the amazing value in typical women's beauty makeup. For starters, powders of any and every kind can be used on top of any other kind of makeup, period. As well as beauty makeup techniques such as contouring your face, highlights, shadows, etc. I highly recommend people look up video tutorials online for things like runway model makeup. You can learn a whole hell of a lot, believe it or not. With makeup like I'm discussing, it's about creating a character and really bringing them to life. Yes, in a comic book or some animated film, series, game, what have you, the character is, let's say, for example, just solid blue. But does that mean you should necessarily cover your face with just solid blue makeup? No, because in photographs and in person, you will look dead and flat, boring and lifeless. Look at your skin. Is it really just one even color? No. And if it were, you would freak people out. There needs to be an amplified level of life breathed into the character you're creating to make this fake, unloving entity actually seem to exist. Think about dimension. Think about depth. Think about where the shadows would fall on your, uh, of your character's face. Think about the, where the light would hit, etc. And think of your face as a canvas. If your face is a canvas, then what does that make makeup? Paint. That's right, it's color, nothing more. One of the biggest quote-unquote secrets I can give is to not feel obligated to use a certain product that's maybe meant for one particular thing, only for that thing. Eyeshadows, blushes, foundations, sealers, powders, eyeliners, lipsticks, whatever it is, is just color. Use it however you find it works best to create this character and make them real. Don't trap yourself in a box. Just because it's lip liner doesn't mean it's just for your lips. Just because it's eyeliner doesn't mean it's just for your eyes, etc. Lastly, practice. Practice and experiment. Try new things, new ideas, whatever they may be, no matter how silly or strange they may seem. Once you've practiced and you're feeling confident, prepare and plan. And if you have a day to kill, practice a little more. So that's it. Those are my thoughts and opinions on it all. Again, this is only my opinion. I'm not stating any of this as fact. And there's a good chance I might be way off base with some of what I said. So I apologize if that's the case. <sighs> <laughs> I like it. No, uh, this is uh, falls under a lot of what uh, my friend Vicky tells me, who actually does my Joker makeup. So it, uh, yeah. I, yes, I salute it. Thank uh, you. Do you uh, do you have any um, resources you like to recommend for uh, pattern making or fabric shopping or any of the like? Um, no, not really, because I don't, I don't like. Um... I don't do a lot of like fabric stuff. I don't do online at all because that just doesn't make sense to me. You need to be able to touch it and see it. Uh, and I'm also, I know with fabrics. Honestly, I mean, in New York, you know, it's just there's just like two or three streets. Basically, it's like I think it's between 37th and like 40th Street between uh, 7th and 8th Avenue is where pretty much every single fabric store is. So you know, just kind of walk around there for a day and find what you need. Um, as far as makeup stuff goes, resources, uh, you know, find a th local theatrical makeup supply store. That's going to be your best bet for doing this kind of makeup. And ask the staff. They will help you greatly. They will know, they know what they have. 
They know what stuff is used for. A lot of them work with clowns. Clowns go to theatrical makeup supply store constantly, professional clowns. And they'll know what you need. They'll know what to get. Makeup artists go to these stores a lot. They know what to get. Um, and just honestly, it's, it's, it's an art form. It's like painting. So if someone asks you, well, so uh, where do you go to learn how to be a painter? Well, you just, you just have to start painting and playing with stuff. And it's the same thing with makeup. I mean, my little makeup kit that I have is just a random hodgepodge of every single thing you could think of that's just whatever. It's, you know, there's this random foundation from, you know, 1995 that I've had in there for ages. It used to be my mom's. Or there's this random eyeshadow from this stop shop. Or there's this random thing. It's all just just getting stuff that you think looks cool and just playing with it. I mean, I never... It's, I do the same thing with... Um, uh, with costumes, with props, I always test stuff out first. Like when we were making the Harley Quinn mallet, um, I had a spare piece. It's made out of foam. Well, we had a spare piece of foam. On that spare piece of foam, we tested everything. We tested, okay, how can we carve this? All right, this seems to work on the test piece. All right, this doesn't work. Okay, let's do this on the actual one before we ruin the actual one. Mm -hmm. You know, here's how we can do, let's figure out how we can do some bark texture. Test, 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 test. Okay, this works the best. Now let's do it on the actual one, and so on. Um, it's the same thing with makeup. You know, just get three or four. If you need one thing, get three or four versions of that one thing and try them each out in different ways, as uh, many combinations as you can, until you figure out what you feel works best for what you're trying to do. You know, it's. I hate to tell you, but art is something you have to teach yourself. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Uh, trial, trial by fire. Yeah, you just you have to teach yourself how to do this stuff. I mean, there's always going to be tutorials online, which are very handy for learning. But in the end, you know, you have to learn how to fish. You can't just have somebody give you a fish. You have to learn how. You have to figure it out. You have to go out there on the lake with, you know, a fishing rod and some worms and figure out what kind of worms work best for the fish you want to catch. Very true. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm. So, I hate to say it. I wish there was an all. It's like when people say, like, you know, because I've, I, I was actually a, a, a fat adolescent, believe it or not, and I've had periods of time where I've Oprahed back and forth, and I've lost, you know, I've lost 35 pounds several times in my life, and um, <laughs> there's no, there's no physical evidence of this, by the way. I make, I'm one of those people who like photos are not taken of me when I'm heavy. No one knows it ever exists, and no one believes it. And that's great. <laughs> just my just just my family and one or two girlfriends have ever known or seen. <laughs> That's it. And I'm fine with that. Um I have destroyed like most photos of me from adolescence. Like like nope, doesn't exist. And luckily it was before the digital age. So right, like right. it's no it's no long lasting evidence. Mm -hmm. Um but it's it's like it's the same thing people say, you know, so well, you lost thirty five pounds in like in like five months. How did how did you do it? What's your secret? Uh I ate really healthy. I was really, really strict with my diet, and I exercised every day. Oh. <laughs> People hate to hear that. They hate it. They hate to hear, like, what's, what's the secret to weight loss? Oh, well, you uh, have to be really disciplined and strict with your diet and what you eat and how much you eat and how often. And I, uh, I had to f make sure I exercised this much every single day. Oh, really? Yeah, and I had to do it for like five fucking months. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, and then when I was done, 
I have to basically continue doing it just to a lesser extent to maintain this new lifestyle I have of maintaining a fitness standard. Yep. Oh, really? I'm going to get a burger. <laughs> you know, people don't like to hear that because yep. it's hard. It is. Because my whole family is big people. They're all heavy set. I, I'm, I'm genetically predisposed to actually being quite heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a constant kind of upkeep. And people don't believe that, uh, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I need to do a, a special episode just about actually this side of it because it's so true. There's so many characters that demand a certain body type, and I don't, I don't even want to get into like uh, Barbie doll type of thing. I mean, just maintaining a certain weight, and you yeah. know, it's very crucial because I did Superman one year, and I wasn't quite the right weight for it, and I paid for it online, and I'm like, okay, never again. I, I understand oh. now that this is very important. So. Yeah, and, and again, that also makes you kind of miss the days before it was all about Facebook and online when you could just dress up in a costume for Halloween or for a convention and it was just for you and your friends to remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and all your memory of it would be, I had a lot of fun and my friends thought it was really fun and cool. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it before, be you, before you had to have, you, before your mind had to be influenced by the opinions of people who don't know you and don't care about you and aren't there to be your friends and support you, they're just there to give their opinion on how you did on the scale of you know, my standard is a movie, and how do you look? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, it's very true, it's very true. So, um, so uh, blanket question, what's the most important thing you have learned doing costuming? Hmm. Uh, cosplaying or more costume designing? Like going to cons and walking around or more the design side of it? Uh, if those are two different answers, give both. If it's the same answer, give that. All right. For the cosplay thing, the most important thing I've learned is um, uh, on, the, on the going to a convention and going in person and having fun side of it and walking around, the biggest thing is just uh, have fun. Be confident in yourself. Even if you're not 100% confident in your costume, just go there and just put on an air of confidence and have fun. Part of, I think, the reason that my photos um, spread so much as they did at first online and were so popular is because I'm, I, get ver- I get very animated with the photos. No one can deny that. Yeah. Uh, I go all out. You've seen me. I jump on people. I'm goofy. I'm silly. I do crazy poses. I have fun with it. And that's a big thing because a lot of people, you know, you're, you know people are kind of shy and people don't know. You know, I've, I've done mime work in the past. I'm a professional physical performer. It's what I do. So I have that in my back pocket. Well, the thing, though, is that I, I tell all people to do is – do that. Have fun. Be goofy for cameras. People respond. I get such a bigger, more exuberant response from people. The more ridiculous I am in photos, the more silly and over the top I am with what I'm doing, my posing, my posturing, my the, the scene that I'm kind of playing out for this photo, whatever else. I get such a bigger response than if I'm just kind of standing there just kind of gently smiling like most people do. Mm-hmm. So... The biggest advice I can give and the biggest thing I've learned is just go big. Go big and have fun. If you're not having fun and laughing along the way, then what's the point? I mean, it's a hobby. No one's paying you to do this. You're probably losing a lot of money doing this very expensive, very silly. It's a very silly hobby. Mm -hmm. So have fun with it Mm -hmm. and enjoy yourself. Yes, I remember um, you uh, photobombing our Superman group in 2013. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
I've had, I've had, yeah, the 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 meme photobomb status flying Joker. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that was the one of the greatest captured. Whoever got that photo, I don't know how I caught so much air. But if you look at it, I am literally a couple feet off the ground, both feet, as I'm pulling my jacket open, flying across in front of you, perfectly centered. It's the greatest photo that has ever been taken. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's my favorite meme of myself ever. <laughs> I have met people, this is not a joke, I've met people who found out I was, and they're like, are you that flying joker meme? I'm like, that's me. They're like, that's the funniest shit I've ever seen. I'm like, I know. I'm so happy with that. Um, but that's the whole thing, is I was, that actually, that convention, Big Wow 2013, is probably the goofiest I have ever been. I don't know what it was that day, but Alyssa and I must have both done like a, uh, I must have somebody must have put some cocaine in my coffee that morning because we were on fire that day. We were ridiculous and big and brash everywhere. We were so over the top and it was the best. I got so many funny photos from that convention more than any other ever. It's so a, anyway, it's a really good con. That or maybe you had one too many psycho donuts or something, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is a good con. I love Big Wow. I'm yeah. going to say right now, I love Big Wow. Um, and this year was great because I got to be an invited guest, so they got to fly us out. Um, next year, if we get to return, if I still bust out the Joker one last time for next year, um, I will do it a little differently because this year we felt kind of trapped at the booth and we're going to have much fun. So I think this year we do it differently. We're like one day we're at the booth selling prints. And the next day, we're just out and walking around and having fun because I don't like being stuck behind a booth. It's a miserable experience after a while. I had to. I was going to ask about that because you know I saw all those cosplayers you know with tables, some of whom I knew, and uh, and Valerie had a table, but she I think had the right idea, which was to yeah she had some prints and cards. I think she did a little of that. I barely saw it. And yeah. most of the rest of the time, you know, we used it as a backdrop and then we just wandered. And Yeah, and I think that's what I need to do is like do like a schedule, like have a mm -hmm. schedule, like a poster board that's like, okay, uh, on Saturday from this time to this time, I'll be here. From this time to this time, I'll be here. Other times, I'll be wandering around mm -hmm. or, you know, or going to panels, for God's sake, enjoying the convention. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so, okay, I'll try, to, I'll try to be quick with these answers. Okay, so best thing I've learned from going to convention, have a ton of fun. Right. Um, best thing I've learned about the convention side of it on the internet, I'll give people a little bit of tip there, is um, stay positive. Keep everything positive. Never post something negative, even if it's, it doesn't matter. Don't do it. Don't do it because negativity feeds in negativity. People will so eagerly jump on a negative bandwagon. So do you, don't you dare be the one who starts it. And if somebody else starts it on one of your posts, if you post some fun photo and somebody starts doing negative stuff, don't respond to them. It's like that old saying, don't feed the trolls. Don't do it. And in fact, delete that comment because guess what? If you delete it, no one else will see the negative comment, and so then they won't jump on and start feeding that negative fire. There's no need to breed negativity. You are your own publisher and editor. Keep things positive. Just keep it positive. There's no need to put a negative energy out there when it comes to a hobby that is supposed to be fun and silly. You know, I don't care. I will openly say that I delete negative comments because there's no point. It's supposed to be fun. If somebody's not having fun, then you don't need to have them there. There's no need for the negative commentary. Now, if it's like a, a criticism, like, hey, I like this, but I think maybe your hair should be a little different, I'm not going to delete that. This is a matter of opinion. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying if somebody comes on and is like, 
this sucks and you're terrible and I hate this and these people are blow and that person dressed as Supergirl next to you is fat and, and ugly and you know what? Pardon my language. Fuck you. But the best thing is I don't have to say that online. I can just delete your comment because it doesn't help anyone. Right. And that's all it is. So that's the advice I give people online is keep things positive. Get rid of the negative. There's no need to feed the fire. Mm-hmm. Keep it light and fun because it's supposed to be light and fun. And the last thing, I guess, the uh, best thing I've learned as far as costuming, um, it's something that I've always, I've always just kind of said. It's not so much I've learned. It's just something that I've, I'm proud of myself because I, have, I think I've done a good job of trying to stay true to this ideal um, as an artist. And it's an ideal I think every artist has, even though it's really hard to maintain, which is try your best to compromise as little as possible from your vision. Sometimes hard to do. But it's, it's, it is the hardest thing to do. And you'll never get there 100%. I'm not, I did not get there 100%. There are, I mean, trust me, I can look at my costume myself and I can tear it apart. There are so many things that I'm like, I don't like this. I wish this was this way. I wish this was that way. I wish I'd chosen a different fabric for this. I wish I hadn't used cotton for that. Whatever. I could break it down. But I would say... I've stayed true to my vision about 90% with the things I've created. And that's a hard thing to do, but that is the best advice I can give is, you know, people, people are told when they're actors, um, you always hear this, make strong choices. Make strong and clear choices with your performance and stick with them. Find, you know, it's a whole finding your motivation. What is your motivation? Well, it's kind of this, but I'm kind of, no, 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 no. What is really driving you emotionally in this scene, in this moment? What is it that you really want to achieve? What is it your character is really going after? Well, it's the same thing with design. People are told uh, as designers, you know, when they're creating an aesthetic choice for this set or this logo or whatever, what is, what is it you are trying to achieve here? What is your goal? What is your what is the vision you have? Make a clear and strong choice and stick to it. And it's the hardest thing to do when executing something. It's easy to design and come up with it and be like, this is strong and clear and decisive. Okay, now make it happen. Oh, shit. It's, it's hard. But do your best. Try as hard as you can to stick with it. Because the great thing also about costume designing for conventions when it's something like this where it is, you know, a convention, it's a hobby. You don't make money doing this. You lose money doing this. You lose time doing this. Well, the great thing is, guess what? There are no deadlines. No one's paying you. You're not, it's not like you have some client who's breathing down your neck saying, I need this project edited and finished by June 22nd. Mm. No. Guess what? There's a big convention coming up you really want to have it done for. Well, guess what? If it's not done by then, it's okay because guess what? It's coming back next year. Mm-hmm. Or there's another convention in three or four months that you can do. Mm-hmm. Whenever it's done, just keep working on it until you are happy with it. I think the greatest goal of any artistic piece is if you can impress yourself, if you can step back from it when you're done and go, wow, wow, look at that. That's really cool. Wow. Then you've made it. You've done your job. Mm-hmm. You've impressed yourself because you've actually pulled off this thing that you thought you might not be able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
No, very good point. When I when I finished is one of my proudest things, and it's of recent, and it's one of the coolest things I've done recently because I haven't done much recently, which is the the recreation I did of the Killing Joke cover. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that, no, that was beautiful. That. that is something that I mean, I took a lot of work. A lot of people think it's a photograph, and it is a photograph, but it's actually ten photographs. <laughs> okay. I I am a Photoshop wizard, my friend, a wizard. It's ten photographs. Um, and about a week of work. And let me tell you, I am an out-of-work, unemployed actor. So that's not a week, like two hours a night. That's a week of work. <laughs> that's, like, that's like 40 hours of work um, or something like that, like 20 to 30 hours of work. Um, but when I was done, I stepped back and I, I actually said, and this is going to sound cocky, but I actually said, holy shit, I pulled it off. Because I didn't think I could. Because mm. it was, again, it was like a week of work. It wasn't an easy thing. Right. And so that's something that I'm actually proud of. That's one of those things where, you know, again, I, I, I had a clear image in my mind of what I wanted to do, how I wanted to pull it off. Um, you know, luckily I had a really great drawing from Brian Boland as the framework, you know, so it's not like I had to completely create the idea from scratch. He pretty much did most of the work. I just recreated it. But um, that's one of those things where I was just, I was so gung-ho about like, no, this has to be right. The tie has to curve at this angle. It has to be just this many centimeters to the left of my wrist in the image. The cuff has to be turned at this angle. The fingers have to be curved at this angle. The, you know, everything. I'm, I'm talking everything. The thumb has to bend just like this, you know. It was real particular. It was a lot of manipulation. It was a lot of tweaking. It was a lot of work. But in the end, you know, I'm able to step back and go, okay, this is a project I'm happy with. I stuck true to my vision, and, I, and I'm happy with it. Well, it paid off in spades. It's, it's a beautiful Thanks. photo, yeah. And also, like my costume, there's about five or six things that I'm like, ah, damn it. But, you know... I'm never going to be able to get my hair to curl perfectly. I did have to put all my bangs in curlers the night before so my hair would be curly. Um, <laughs> something people don't know. I have some, f- I have some fun behind-the-scenes photos. I should, one of these days, I should post some of the making of photos of this photo because it actually was an ordeal. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and some of the stages of development in the editing process. Um, but, yeah. No, I'm, I'm always big on behind-the-scenes. I mean, it's, it's really up to you, obviously, but I yeah. always think there's a, there's a cool fascination there, especially with something like that of, of just how m- meticulous recreation. Oh, yeah. And I, even, I mean, I changed the way I did my makeup for it because, um, you know, in his drawings, like in the way I do my makeup, I usually put, like, I use kind of a plum kind of color sh- shadow under and around my eyes and stuff like that because mm-hmm. I always picture him a little more, you know, a little darker, kind of like the Heath Ledger, a little bit just in the dark shadows kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do sort of a plum shadow. Well, Brian Boland never does that. He does the eyes uh, up to the very eye line. It's white. There's no heavy shadowing. And so, you know, I changed the makeup. I kept it all white. Uh, I also don't draw lines around my eyes because I'm slightly vain, and I do want to be at least a little handsome as the Joker. So, um, But Brian Boland does very heavy lines, around, like smile lines around the eyes and the cheeks. And so I, I drew in all these lines around the, the bottom of the eyelid and the cheeks and all that. You know, I, I totally changed a lot of stuff to kind of just make it more like that that drawing. I added a cleft to my chin very subtly, just a little little bit of eyeliner shadow right there in the cleft of my chin because he has a cleft. I don't have a cleft. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun. 
And that's where we lose the signal and the end of this interview. So I want to thank Mr. Anthony Miziano for joining me for a very long but very informative talk on all things cosplay. If you wish to find out more about Anthony or any of his awesome Photoshop skills, uh, please check out his Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Harley's Joker. Or you can see uh, his girlfriend Alyssa's awesome Harlequin outfit at the opposite, which is facebook.com backslash Joker's Harley cosplay. You can also purchase prints or posters of any of these photos at anthonymiziano.storeenvy.com. And that's about it. Wraps it up. So we're going to be back next time with more shop talk and interviews right here at Costume Station Zero. (laughs) 